0: Tonight, Fox presents a world premiere motion picture from the creators of the hit comic book series, The X-Men, comes Generation X. They've got the
1: power. They've got the technology. They're the new generation of superheroes. And they're coming
0: yeah! ah! to save the world. You can't win. I need some help out here. guys. Get ready for Generation X on the Fox Tuesday night movie.
1: and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me via the Dreamweb is Hamish. Ooh, Dreamweb. Okay, <laughs> I didn't understand what the dream Web was, but I'm a ghost. Yeah. Let's say that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this, unfortunately. <laughs> this week, we watched a, a personal favorite of mine. I think it's just a personal favorite of mine. The 1996 made-for-TV movie slash unsuccessful pilot about a group of young mutants brought together to train as superheroes. Technically, the first X-Men movie entitled Generation X. Yeah, which I got confused with Mutant X. Yes, that came a little later, and that wasn't really authorized, kind of made itself seem like it was connected to X-Men, and there was some litigation, I believe, but uh, fortunately we don't have to get into that. We have a whole other mess to deal with today.
0: I like that. You you say this is your favorite episode uh, or favorite show, and it's a mess. <laughs> oh,
1: this was so great. This was it's, so great.
0: It's very 90s, that's what I gotta say. Thing, oh, like, yeah. I've watched a lot of shows from the 90s, you know, I've watched a lot of interesting shows which I thought were cool at the time, and then realized, this is not good. This is, <laughs> this is, this is really bad. Um, I mean, I'm not blaming 90s technology, but I am blaming my childlike wonder for masking
1: a lot of things. Oh, yes. Mm. Now, this was directed by the same director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Jack Shoulder, and it was written by Eric Blakeney. And, uh, yeah, well, Nightmare on Elm Street, that seems a little connected to the plot of this movie. It does, especially when one of the characters does
0: reference Freddy Krueger.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> mm. Mm. Now, this may help explain uh, what we're dealing with here. It was produced by New World Entertainment, which we should note is Roger Corman's studio. It's the same man behind the disastrous and never-released Fantastic Four movie from 1994, which is... Another film I'd love to talk about on this podcast sometime in the future. You don't have to. (laughs) I mean, every time I've uh, seen any
0: articles about that Fantastic Four film, yeah, it's rife with just just not positive energy. Let's just say that no No one's really happy about
1: it. It's marvelous, though. It's it's actually this is a little better than that, though. You got to say, okay, at least at least it isn't too
0: bad. I mean, again, I'm just trying to compare things here. You know, it's just like, well, I can eat a burnt piece of toast or I can eat the ingredients to make toast separately. It feels like that. It's like, you know, it's like neither
1: one of them are great options. I just want toast. and, uh. Well, this is a delicious buttered piece of toast in my mind. But, you know, consider this. The movie was shot in 23 days. On location in Vancouver, of course, with a budget of six to eight million dollars. So I mean, they had a decent budget. They had a, a very short schedule, and you know, they did as best as they could. Now, even though Fox viewed this as a TV movie, that was also a feature-length pilot for a possible series. According to Jack Shoulder, the director, he was never told that. He thought <laughs> he thought he was just filming a movie. But he later admitted, "Yeah, it could work as a pilot for a series, but as far as he was concerned, this was just a one-off."
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it, it, the God—it's really hard to describe the structure. If you, it's the structure of the episode or long movie, is very up and down. I gotta say, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like yeah. There's a cohesive kind of hey, here's act one, two, and here's three. It's just like here's some stuff and here's some other stuff, and here's some things Mm -hmm. that are going to happen, and here's the ending, which we only have about, oh, 15 minutes to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a rushed production. Now, it made made its worldwide debut on the Fox network on the night of February 20th, 1996. Now, Hamish, I'm not sure if this even aired in Australia, but did you happen to see this at all when it aired or around the time it aired? Or at all before watching it for the podcast? No. I think in Australia we
0: had some decency. (laughs) Uh, for buying everything from overseas. Uh, Yeah, I don't think we saw this. And even if we did, I think it was probably later at night. But, you know, maybe it was one of those obscure shows which I didn't know what to do with. Because I remember seeing uh, another great pilot movie episode thing, Sliders. If everyone remembers Mm -hmm. Sliders, let me know. Because it it started off great, ended badly, that whole entire series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but... Basically, the main character of the series is left by the last series. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, I, I saw that over this because like, I don't recall ever seeing this at all on TV. And if I did, it was, again, it's probably late at night because of the subject matter. But even though the tone of the episode show oh, God, is it a movie, episode, or show? <laughs> movie. movie. We'll call it a movie. <laughs> the episode movie, episodic movie, it's kind of all over the place. It's like at one point it's like love humor, and at another point it's kind of sleaze. You know, mm-hmm. it's kinda it's dip it in back and forth. And yeah, so I don't think we ever got that because I guess you really couldn't categorize where to put it. Yeah, Plus exactly. also, you know, no one really knew who um, these X type of people
1: were. Uh, I did. I did. Like I said, I remember this very well. This was, a, again, a personal favorite of mine. I remember mm. this night very well. It was a Tuesday during the week of my February vacation from the sixth grade. My friends were sleeping over and uh, we were so super hyped to see any live action version of the x men cuz remember this was 4 years before brian singer's x men so to this point we had never seen any you know marvel superheroes other than you know the incredible hulk made for tv movies that we could rent at the local blockbuster Mm. Uh, I mean, there wasn't much, you know, as far as Marvel is concerned. I re- and, oh yeah, Captain America too, I was just thinking. We used to rent that quite a bit. But uh, I remember this night so well. Uh, this aired on Fox 25 for me in Boston, 8pm, right after reruns of Married with Children and The Simpsons uh, at 7 and 7.30. And the Simpsons episode I distinctly remember was the Stonecutters episode. Oh, that's uh, the one. In, in that episode I got to see Patrick Stewart as a, a leader of a group, but... Uh, And that's not what we got in the Generation X movie.
0: No, because remember, (laughs) this is four years before he got that gig. So if you go, oh, my God, it's Patrick Stewart. Guys, wink, wink, hint, hint. (laughs) They'll think you're doing some quantum leap stuff to him or or whatever. They're like, Scott, what's going on? Why are you winking at us and pointing at Patrick Stewart? It's
1: like, (laughs) oh, you'll find out. Uh, If I only knew what was coming. Four years later, I would have never even bothered watching this. But uh, even weirder, it was broadcast as part of a Fox at Mardi Gras event. So during some of the commercial breaks, they would cut to a special correspondent on the streets talking to all these costumed revelers. And uh, that correspondent was a young Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. You yeah. mean Jimmy Kimmel before the man show? I, uh 96, it's, I think so. I think so. This might have even been before Win Benstein's money, yeah. but I'm not sure on the dates there. But it was, it was very early in his broadcast career, we'll say.
0: I feel like it's kind of a, a blotch on his record there, being on a show <laughs> called The Man Show, which was pretty sleazy from what yeah, I uh, pro- uh, recall. Probably
1: won't cover any episodes on this podcast. Oh, well. So just a little backstory on the source material, the, the team from Marvel Comics known as Generation X. Now, Hamish, you didn't read any of these comics growing up?
0: I dabbled back and forth. I mean, like again, I was a kid, and yeah, I didn't have that much money. You know, I yeah, I wasn't popping into comic book stores all over the place. Um, I mean, the comic book stores weren't that uh, big here till later on when people actually established their own kind of cool comic book geeky stores and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there were a few, but uh, most of the time, I got my comics from Newsagent. And again, if you get your comics from the Newsagent, it's kind of uh, it's sporadic what you pick up. You know, yeah, like you know, I had a good run of consistently picking up Spider-Man comics throughout, I think, uh, early two thousands. But mm-hmm. yeah, for Generation X, it's one of those ones I kind of flipped through because yeah, it, it was it wasn't the main X-Men guys, right? That's, exactly. That's, that's my main problem. It's like this is not Wolverine. This is not Cyclops. This is not Barry the Cleaner. <laughs> I'm holding Barry the Cleaner, who apparently should be in the series, but you know, everyone else is getting their own comic book. I mean, you know, <laughs> why not him? Why not that's the right. janitor?
1: Yeah, and this would be the era for it because they had spinoffs of of the X-Men all over the place. There were tons of X-Titles, all kinds of spinoffs. This was just another X-Title that they were launching at the same time as the regular X-Men. So there was spinoff that uh, made their first appearance as a team in Uncanny X-Men number 318. That was November 1994 in the story Moving Day, which involves Jubilee leaving the team. Now, the same month, they also got their own series, Generation X, which ran for 75 issues until 2001. Uh, Actually, a pretty long run for a fledgling title like this. Uh, Their series debut was following an X-Men crossover event called The Phalanx Covenant, which, in that story, there was a hive-minded, half-human, half-alien technological being that was attacking young mutants. And so this is why, how we get the young mutants brought into the storyline. And it's during this that a lot of the Generation X characters made their debuts, including some we don't see in this movie. We'll get into that, too, about this lineup.
0: Yeah, talk about characters you don't see in this movie. There's a lot of characters you don't see in this movie. <laughs>
1: yes. And they're hanging out at the X-Mansion. Kinda. <laughs> we'll get into it. There's, uh... In the comics, it's not supposed to be exactly the X-Mansion. Here, it it seems to be the X-Mansion, but nobody's home.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's my problem with this. It's like, oh, cool, the X-Mansion, it's big, there must be a lot of mutants here. There's so, only, like, eight people. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, and that's the thing, it's like, I found weird about this. I mean, I know, you know, for budgetary reasons, you can't hire these other actors or whatever, but the thing about it, it seemed like, oh, where is all my favorite characters? Where is the Wolverine? Where is my Cyclops? Where is my Colossus? Where is my Beast? Where is my... I got a list here. Let me keep going. Where is my...
1: You know. Yeah, I mean, this is... It, again, it looks like the X-Mansion... We'll get more into it in a few moments, but this is supposed to be the Xavier Institute in Western Massachusetts. I believe it's actually Berkshire County, Massachusetts. It actually borders New York, kind of far away from where I am. But yeah, that was a, a big thing when I was a kid, you know, in, in fourth grade, and I get this comic, and it's like, oh, cool, they actually go to Logan Airport in Boston. You know, this is in my home state. This is awesome. I There's an ex-team, you know, where I live, kind of. Mm. <laughs> Well, see, that's exciting for you. You know, you got all
0: these things happening. Uh, I can't say anybody's really been to Australia in in these in the comic books everyone reads.
1: Oh, come on! The X Men had a great a great run in Australia.
0: What time? When was this? This was which comic book? I think there might have been a couple of stories, but I think we're very generically Australian in that. The only yeah. time, and here's the thing: there's only one time one superhero has been to my city, and it was Batman. And this is during the Batman uh, Incorporated series when he's yep. you know rounding up all his uh, heroes. Yeah, and one of them he's getting the Australian version of Batman, I assume, uh, which I cannot remember his name because Batarang. That's, that's it, really wait, what really? No,
1: I don't know. <laughs> That'd be a good name, bro, right?
0: He just looks like a spaceman wearing a rocket pack. But anyway, there's this, the the images of him uh, and this rocket pack dude in the background. You can see Melbourne's casino. So they got
1: pretty close <laughs> to uh, accurate. Details, correct?
0: It's only one scene, and that was it. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, it's like one
1: square of uh, comic book page, and that's it. Yeah, so this was actually a big thing uh, for Marvel Comics. They really put a lot behind it. The story, the opening story of Generation X number one was called Third Genesis, which if you're familiar with X-Men comics, Second Genesis was Giant Size X-Men number one. That's our first appearance of Storm and Nightcrawler, Colossus. Uh, Wolverine joins the team. This was huge. First Genesis, of course, I'm guessing is, you know, X-Men number one. This is third Genesis. Now, in the meantime, we did get another X-team in uh, uh, the New Mutants, which Xavier had another young team. That wasn't even called third Genesis. This was. So they really put a big push behind it. They even had a line of Toy Biz action figures to coincide with the comics. Did you happen to see any of those, Hamish?
0: I gotta say, throughout the 90s, there was a lot of X-Men action figures, like, yes. in all flavors and varieties. So, it's kind of like they all kind of, like blended in. That's what I remember. I mean, like, you know, beyond, like, the multiple uh, Wolverines I saw, or the different colored storms, and, you know, different versions of, I think it was a Beast or something, there was quite a bit of these action figures all over the place. I mean, like, when the cartoon was out, there was even more of these action figures, because there's, like, I think there was this, a version of, like, the stock standard kind of X-Men action figures and then the animated series came out and they started pumping more of those figures out Mm -hmm. but yeah just like to see these figures so it's kind of hard to keep up i probably did see a lot of them uh and a lot of them were maybe uh, some of them maybe could have been a tad generic i feel like a lot of figures kind of got repaints and redos and they kind of popped arms off and put them back on to other bodies not these though
1: not these these were these these had their own line these had their own line these specific ones These, yeah, these Generation X action figures had their own distinct line, uh, very distinct packaging card. Even their paint jobs were more of a matte finish than our regular Toy Biz X-Men figures. They almost seemed a little bigger, better detail. Uh, I know the the Banshee, for example, for the regular X-Men action figures just had little arms that went up and down. And he had plastic, like, kind of capes, if you remember how Banshee looks. Yeah, he had arm. Like a, whist- Did he have a whistle in his back or something. Yes, yes. You blow yeah. this big thing that sticks out of his back and it made this dumb whistle. And classic the, classic Banshee. Yes. And the Generation X Banshee uh, had a, a screaming face where the old one just had a regular closed mouth, which made no sense. This thing had a screaming face. He had a, a cape that hooked onto his uh, arms and, and legs and it was made out of fabric. So they really put a lot of, of detail in in this, in these figures. Jubilee got her first figure for the first time in this line. White Queen did as well. I was, you know, of the perfect age to uh, collect these figures and stuff. So I I had a couple of them. I I still got them in a box somewhere.
0: (laughs) It's like, oh, I I got got a couple. Do
1: you have all of them, Scott? (laughs) No, I I do not. (laughs) Stop being so humble. I wish I did. That would have been cool, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I wish I had some I, figures from this movie though. This, would, th- this is incredible. Some of these characters. No, no, <laughs> because Banshee changes his outfit
0: like eighteen times throughout this entire thing. Because it's—I <laughs> know why well, he keeps getting—it's like a jacket or a vest thing he's wearing, but he ke- changes it multiple times, and he has multiple versions of the same outfit. Yeah. Also, Banshee is different. <laughs>
1: All right, so so let's get right into this movie. We open on the logo for New World Entertainment, and then this goes to the definitions of the word mutation. The first definition being the act of being altered or changed. And the second meaning is that it's an illegal genetic condition caused by the X factor, which is located, as we learn here, in the pineal gland in the brain. And this is going to be a very important piece of information. This sets up two basic premises of the film. One, the mutants have to stay secret. And two, the source of their powers lies deep in their brains. Oh good.
0: I'm surprised <laughs> like you didn't have a guy step out in front of the camera going, The Webster's dictionary defines mutation as and then just saying that. <laughs> but strange enough, this 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 kind of uh, sticks in with the movies. You know how um, Patrick Stewart does his whole
1: intro saying mutation and explaining what mutation yeah, is. Kind of That's true. Yeah. There's a symmetry there. There is, there is, you're right. Uh, From here, we also get the words, all life mutates, as we fade into a surgery scene. Now here, we get Russell Tresh. This is our villain, played by Matt Frewer, Max Headroom.
0: Yeah, Max Headroom. (laughs) It was a good time for him, I gotta say, throughout the 90s, wasn't it? (laughs) As soon as you hear that voice, like, oh my god, he's back. It's Max Headroom, and then you see him in this thing, and it's like, oh, this is not the worst thing he's been in. Not the worst thing he's been in, I gotta say, because the worst thing he was in was when he was doing, I think, a CG version of Max Headroom in Pixels.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. See,
0: you didn't see Pixels. I when no. I was typing this this up, looking at some information, going, I wonder what happened to Max Headroom. Beyond the fact there's uh, a pretty good uh, BBC Channel 4 idents, which he did, uh, an ad-, ad thing where he was playing an older Max Headroom talking about the changeover to digital, mm-hmm. which actually is good. Look that up. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's, he was in um, Pixels, that um good film about <laughs> the... I, see, I don't want to be too harsh about it, because at least he tried, Adam Sandler. He, he tried so hard. And we're talking about this on another very terrible thing. <laughs> anyway, well, there's a link. It's Max Headroom. But uh, yeah, he appears in that. Long story short, don't worry about the rest of the film.
1: Yeah. Pixels starring uh, Peter Dinklage who ends up uh, playing Bolivar Trask in X-Men Days of Future Past. Now Bolivar Trask is kind of what this Russell Tresh is modeled on. You know, uh, Bolivar Trask is the uh, the man that came up with the Sentinel program very, Ooh. very early in the 60s in Marvel Comics, in the X-Men comics. So here we get Trask, trash?
0: No, yes. Because yeah. I think I think trash, trash, Trish, Trish. I'm gonna call him Max Headroom. Max Headroom <laughs> here. I think more or less was taking the let's say uh, a page from Jim Carrey's book because he's very Jim Carrey in this, like '90s oh Jim goodness. Carrey. But also, this is very like Jim Carrey in like Batman
1: Forever. Yes, yes, it is. Is very yeah. close to another personal favorite of mine as a little kid, uh, Batman Forever was like the last crappy movie that I'm like, oh, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think we all did. Do you know what? Do you know what saved that movie? Seals Kissed by Rose. Oh, of course. Come on.
1: We've gone into it on this podcast before. I have that soundtrack.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, in multiple there's, forms. There's, there's no buts about it. I think that saved that movie. Uh, but also, I didn't mind the U2 song, which I've mentioned before.
1: Yeah, hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. The music video for that is so good. Yeah, definitely.
0: Oh, my God. Now we're getting sidetracked by other superheroes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I suppose we have to get into this movie. So anyway, (sighs) we got this opening scene. Russell Trash, he's about to perform brain surgery on this young mutant strapped to a bed. And we notice that he has reptile-like claws for hands. That seems to be his only real mutation. We'll kind of get the idea that there are high-level mutants and low-level mutants. And basically, he's got his hands on a low-level mutant. But he's going to cut open his brain. Now, this surgery is interrupted by Emma Frost who, of course, in the comics at the time was also known as the White Queen. Uh, She's an associate of Russell's, as we learn. And she frees this mutant boy and gets Russell fired. Now, at the same time, MEA agents apprehend the mutant boy for being unregistered. The MEA is like the, you know, the Mutant Affairs police. They they come around and they get mutants that are unregistered. Now, upset that Russell is getting no punishment other than a dismissal, she uses her uh powers causing a yeah. mind controlled windstorm
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what didn't make sense. She kind of just stood there, spread her arms and then like there's like a, a guy I guess a guy with an air gun, but like just <laughs> pressure fired at them and also I like how easy it was for them to actually get inside the uh little surgery area yeah, seemed yeah. to be like one door in a hallway that's it yeah
1: not not a sterile environment it seems it's just yeah it's kind mm. of like in a hallway. He was in.
0: Can I also say that uh, the line "good secretions"? I don't want to hear that. <laughs> that was, no, that nobody was the does. The thing he says is like, "We're gonna get some
1: good secretions from this." It's like, Ugh. no, <laughs> not not great. Now her wind power here—it's kind of like the only time we really see it. I guess the only thing you could spin it as is, okay, well, it's happening in their minds because she has mind powers similar to Professor Xavier, nowhere near as strong. But, yeah, she really shouldn't be able to control the wind like Storm. It really doesn't make sense. It's so funny to see them all, like, falling over as, like, papers are flying at them. It's just getting blown down to the floor.
0: I like that every time in these shows there's some wind, there has to be paper. You could, be, you could be in the cleanest neighborhood and there'd still be, like, newspapers flying around. It's like, what? We're in the digital age, people. Where, where, are, this, where are these papers coming from? I'm guessing, because we're in the digital age now, iPads would be just rolling down the street as yes, yes. wind flies. It's like, oh, no, my <laughs> Apple
1: iPod. <laughs> yeah, this, this was not, I mean, I guess this is at the beginning of the digital age, but this is not a digital age movie, in the least. Now, as we, as we go through this movie, I, I kind of have some breakdowns of these characters. We have these character profiles as we meet them. So, Emma Frost, White Queen, a very powerful telepath in the comics, created by longtime X-Men writer Chris Claremont along with John Byrne. She made her debut in Uncanny X-Men number 129, that's January 1980, and her character has a very complicated history. Uh, starting out as a villain working for the Hellfire Club alongside Sebastian Shaw, who you may remember uh, as the villain that Kevin Bacon plays in X-Men First Class. Uh, in fact, there was a an Emma Frost White Queen character played by January Jones in that movie. In her character history, she later led a young group of mutants called the Hellions. They were kind of the rivals to the New Mutants, which was another young team that Xavier started. But the Hellions were killed. And this led to a big change in her life. Uh, she's now working for the side of good, agreeing to become headmistress of Xavier's school in Western Massachusetts. And this is where she leads this Generation X team. And this is where we were in the comics around the time this film was made. So just forward... Beyond this, a few years later, after Generation X disbanded, she also became a very important member of the X-Men. She even had a relationship with Cyclops. And now, as we record this episode, she kind of has returned to villainy after the whole Inhumans versus X-Men storyline. So, she's kind of a back-and-forth character.
0: So, basically, f- she's female Xavier in this story.
1: In this story, yeah. Yeah, they really... Yeah. She's the one with the mind powers that's going to co-lead the team. Uh, here in this movie, we should mention, too, she's played by Finola Hughes, who's also known for a lot of uh, soap opera work as well. Really? I couldn't tell. <laughs> she was all right in this movie. There's, uh, yeah, she's she good.
0: It's just this movie is of its time. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, there was better stuff around this time. This was, yeah.
0: you mean like superhero related because I'm thinking of the Flash remember that yeah
1: oh yeah yeah
0: remember remember one episode how he split into two people
1: there's like a red Flash and a blue Flash kind of thing no I think he split into two I forget it was very confusing well anyway Uh, We next cut five years later to the home of Angelo Espinoza. Now, Angelo packs to get ready for his departure to the Xavier School. He says his heartfelt goodbyes to his, I guess, friends and family. And he gets into his father's old pickup truck. Now, as they start (laughs) to drive off, he reaches out for his little sister's hand one last time. You know, just saying a very nice heartfelt goodbye. But she refuses to let go. And this causes his arm to painfully stretch down the street as his father drives off. So we see right away this character, Angelo Espinoza, has, like, stretchy powers. And his sister is quite a jerk. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's
0: like, you know, she seemed all nice. Then all of a sudden she's like, nah, I'm just going to do this one more time. Because this time it's the (laughs) perfect situation. You're in a car. You're getting driven away. It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, why not let the whole neighborhood know? Because evidently, when he stretches, it does hurt. We don't know what's going on with his bones, but uh, his skin is supposed to stretch. But he's in a lot of pain every time he uses his powers here. So he's pretty much screaming down the neighborhood, you know, down the street in the neighborhood. And <laughs> everyone can look and see, hey, look, this is a mutant.
0: Do you think it's uh, coincidental that this is another stretchy guy with, um? was it associated to
1: Cormen? I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, he was just like, oh, do we have any long arms <laughs> lying around? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it just seems
0: like, you know, you have like, was it, he did the Fantastic Four thing with Stretchy Guy. Yeah. I know his name. Uh, <laughs> and then he's doing another thing with Stretchy Guy. If he ends yeah. up, you know, if, if, if there's some sort of mysteriously unseen film called Plastic Man, we know who
1: was in charge of it. <laughs> But you know, Skin was part of this team, so that was it, it was actually very fortunate for Corman. We'll say, <laughs> very fortuitous uh, lineup here. Now, just a, a profile on this character, Angelo Espinoza, better known as Skin in the comics. <laughs> he's,
0: he's It's a okay, Adam. Adam, like before you go into the details, when you say Skin, like every character has like a power mixed in with their name in some way. When you called Skin, there's only one way this is gonna go. You know, and like I looked at some of the artwork back in the day, and he just looked like he's always melting.
1: Yeah, he he looks uh, much better in this movie. In the comics, he's kind of got like you said, droopy skin, a little bit grayish too, very gray Mm. skin. Uh, He Mm. had very super elastic skin. That was his mutant power. He made his debut in Uncanny X Men three seventeen October nineteen ninety four. He was a character written by Scott Lobdell. His backstory is that he's a reformed gang member who faked his death and joined Generation X. Uh, later in the <laughs> comics, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh no! I fell into a vat and I've
0: died. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how he faked his death. He'd have to I don't maybe know. talk to someone else about it. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't remember uh, Uncanny X Men number three seventeen offhand. So, anyway, uh, later in the comics, he actually was killed, and then a form of him was resurrected later on in the the Utopia storyline, but ultimately, skin really didn't amount to much in the comics. I liked him. You know, I still have my skin action figure with finger-extending action, but, uh, yeah, he ended up not being much, which is too bad. He wasn't wasn't bad. Uh,
0: Finger-extending action? Sorry, you have to explain that a little bit
1: more, (laughs) because when someone's extending a finger
0: at me, then...
1: They're not happy with me. <laughs> Skin had a very long... He had one very long arm with a slide switch on the wrist. And right. the four fingers, independent of the thumb, would extend as you slide the switch. Um, I don't know why he needed a longer hand for a bigger slap. He wasn't really making a fist or something. I don't know. But that <laughs> that was the, the action figure of Skin. I, I liked him as a character. But yeah, they really didn't use him much and they kind of killed him off.
0: Well... You know, what What else can you do with another guy who's basically Mr. Fantastic again? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or was it Flatman? <laughs> yes, yes, he's still around.
1: Yeah, see, I, I I know about my stretchy guys. Of course, of course, I don't doubt that at all. So here, here in the movie, he's played by Augustin Rodriguez. All right, so from this scene, we cut to an upper floor of a city building where the overacting Russell Tresh is explaining his latest venture to a businessman that he calls Bobby. And this is a free market mind control machine. This is a very (laughs) important part of the movie. Basically, he plans to harness the power of brainwaves to advertise to people in their dreams, kind of like what Futurama did with uh, Lightspeed Underwear. Or what uh, the Riddler does in Batman Forever? Yes, of course.
0: <laughs> again, I'm making that assumption because again, he's acting very, very Jim Carrey.
1: Oh, this is so Edward Nigma from that movie.
0: Yeah, yes. and his whole like thing of you know his his outfit as well, and the lighting as well. I gotta say, the lighting in the show is ridiculous. <laughs> Everything's got some sort of like green or pink hue, or like there's a light in the corner which is just there for no reason, but it's shining like a green light. Yeah, very
1: Doesn't Batman and Robin
0: Yeah, and that's the problem, it's not helping No <laughs> It's not helping escape <laughs> the idea that this is just Batman Forever You know, the prequel to Batman Forever Where they're just testing the idea So I have a guy in a loud suit calling people Bobby Boy
1: Just yes. floating oh, around the goodness. place
0: And again, even though he was Max Headroom He's still very much Max
1: Headroom Yeah, he, uh, he, he hits all his marks, we'll say As far as mm. a, a Matt Furrow performance I'll start from the beginning Okay, real slow dreams
0: are another dimension bobby you know like uh freddy krueger well with this machine i can get directly into anybody's dreams and make suggestions like buy slick lips lipstick or play virtua fighter video games only this will be a thousand
2: times more effective because i'm going straight into
1: Now, his machine will allow him to enter anybody's dreams. And, of course, you may think, well, isn't that kind of the premise to Nightmare on Elm Street? And, of course, like you said, we're not alone in thinking that because this is the part where Russell totally cops to it saying, you know, like Freddy Krueger. Ugh. <laughs> just, just referencing the thing that is already the thing. I uh. Because then it's not a ripoff; it's an homage. It's it's paying tribute now. So you, you cop to it and... People go, oh yeah,
0: it's an homage. So I could, I could probably do the entire movie of Titanic as long as I say at the beginning of it, "Hey, wouldn't it be fun to recreate it?" That film, Titanic, and then I do the rest of the movie, shot for shot.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, cool. like sinking a, a toy boat in the bathtub and, and say this is of Titanic proportions. Just to let people know <laughs> But you're in, you're, you're in on the joke. Yeah. So, Tresh goes on to explain that he'll be able to slip these messages into people's subconscious, like buy (laughs) slick lips lipstick and play Virtua Fighter video games. (laughs) Sorry, it's the execution in the next scene where he makes it seem
0: like, oh, it's going to be probably like some sort of you know, you know, sound waves or some sort of like imagery, like subtle
1: imagery. I love the next scene that comes up that shows how this thing works. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see exactly how this works. But I just wanted to stop here. As far as Virtua Fighter goes, now Slick Lips, I have no idea if that was a real brand. But Virtua Fighter, I mean, yeah, we all knew what Virtua Fighter was around this time. It's yeah. weird that they had this promotional tie-in to this movie because, really, they're part of this villainous mind control plot. Like You don't want to be part of the, the villain's plans as your real-life product. Uh, maybe it's because they had ads in the comic books. Yeah, but still,
0: I, it's I just so that. funny.
1: Did you play Virtua Fighter around this time? Uh,
0: here and there, but, like, mostly a Street Fighter. Yeah, oh I yeah. I was still on that Street Fighter, because that was still popular. Virtua Fighter was cool, because it had, like, the whole, uh, Well, wow, look at these geometry. Beyond that, it was like, I don't know, every time I played it, it just felt, feels slow and clunky.
1: Well, it was 360, which was cool. We didn't have that before. And I used to only have this in the arcade, our local arcade, so I'd play it once in a while. But it was cool. You could, you know, you were on a pedestal. You were fighting 360 degrees.
0: Yeah, but we had better games. We had I know. pixelated games. we did... I don't know why did, I'm going
1: up a pitch. We did ours on Street Fighter 2 a couple of weeks ago. Please check that out in our archives. I know. I know. Wow, that was subtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this
0: this is the subtle way. You're doing the subtle way of getting people to listen to the other podcasts. I mean, that's just crazy. Like that time we had Matt Selman on one of our episodes, which we were doing an episode on The Simpsons episode, The Town, which we basically have two episodes of, in a way.
1: Matt Selman, the executive producer of The Simpsons, was on our show?
0: Yeah, Matt Selman, the executive producer of The Simpsons, of the episode The Town that we did in one episode, but then he decided to come on in the next episode, so we're able to answer all the questions about that episode in another episode. So it's two episodes.
1: I'll have to download those, delete them, and re-download them. Yeah, this is a very normal conversation. We all have this. (laughs) All right, so anyway, from here, he talks about all this mind control stuff. So we cut to actual gameplay of Virtua Fighter as Jubilee is now playing it in her local arcade at Watkins Mall. I looked that up to see if it was a real thing. I don't know, maybe it was then, but it's certainly not now. So as we cut around this arcade, very 90s setting, we notice that the kids are also wearing brightly colored lipstick. They have coffin nail cigarettes. And for some reason, Russell is there. In person, walking around, and I guess this is just him trying to see if his powerful machine actually works.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's going around telling people. What's it? He's, he's doing a goofy thing going, pucker up or something like that, with one person putting on <laughs> lipstick, and he's going, puff puff to another guy who's smoking. He's smoking in an arcade. How dare he? But here's the thing with the character of Jubilee,
1: you knew it was Jubilee. How do we know it was Jubilee? She's wearing yellow. The yellow jacket, yes. That's one thing in the comics. She had it uh, as a member of the X-Men. She kept it for her time with Generation X as well. It's like an iconic Mm. thing and, yeah.
0: But also, do you know what's more confusing this scene? When the camera's panning around looking at, you know, Russell and looking at Jubilee and whatnot, behind Russell there's an... X-Men arcade
1: cabinet. I was going to ask if you saw that. Yes. Yes, we I, that's so great too. Uh again, not to tie it to another episode of this podcast, but that's based on Pride of the X-Men, which was the original pilot for the X-Men cartoon in 1989. Sean and I did a whole breakdown of that, and it spun off to its own video game cuz they really thought it was going to take off. It didn't. It was just a one-off, Mm-mm. but that arcade game is so great. I love that game. You could you could even buy it for your consoles and tablets nowadays. They re-released it. And it's really odd that that game exists in this world because if Jubilee was only playing that game, she would have seen Emma Frost as one of the villains.
0: Yeah, it's kind of confusing because it's like what, the X-Men decided to make their own arcade. I guess that's <laughs> yeah. why you don't see much of this because they're busy at meetings. Wolverine turns up to a meeting... Saying, I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do is push product.
1: <laughs> and this was Australian
0: Wolverine, too. Oh, hang on. I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do is sell you quality merchandise. <laughs> is that better for you? Right, right. Want some, what do you say? A kebab or something like that? Sure Let's put some shrimp on the barbie. And he pops his claw, which is like the size of his arm. You know, his full extended arm. <laughs> like, it pops out and he gets like a whole bunch of shish kebab fruit.
1: Yeah uh in that game though yeah that's where he, he fires uh adamantium lasers by slicing his claws together so yeah it, the game wasn't totally accurate but very weird that it exists in this universe and i'd really make fun of it if it wasn't for the fact that logan had x-men comic books in it so okay maybe that can happen in the x-men universe yeah but that was explained in logan I know, I'm trying to make excuses for this crappy movie.
0: <laughs> we're all trying to make excuses for this movie. But yeah, like in in Logan he's explained that, you know, this is later down a track where people took these fantastical stories and turned them into comics. In this, it seems like uh wouldn't it be cool to be an X-Men? We don't know how they act or do stuff. Here's a game. Who should we license it to? Yeah. <laughs> do you think the X-Men are going to license themselves? I don't think so, Bob. Let's get to work designing something which is going to be very playable but also have nothing to do with these real-life people, and hopefully they don't sue.
1: <laughs> Bobby, my boy.
0: Yeah, get, get the copyright, get the copyright, because then Wolverine will have to change his suit from the brown one to something else.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Guess
0: I can't wear that one
1: now. <laughs> but it's true, like, we don't even know if the X-Men exist in this Generation X world. We know from the comics, yes, this is the separate Academy, but the movie really doesn't tell us that, you know? It, but ex- who but knows? Xavier exists. You Xavier would assume. exists. Yeah, where, where's he? I I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> see, see, this is the mystery of the show. It's like,
1: where's everybody else? Maybe if this was picked up as a series, that would have all been explained. But nope, this is just a failed pilot slash movie. Golly. I <laughs> will I will be saying that a lot, though. Where is everybody else? I, I, no kidding. All right, so just back into the scene where, where Jubilee is playing Virtual Fighter. Nice little commercial for that because we get a lot of gameplay footage of it. And Jubilee's really getting into playing. She's pressing buttons furiously, and she notices something in the middle of the screen here.
0: <laughs> yeah, she sees. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's so it's such the heavy-handed way <laughs> if they do it, and I'm just remembering it because also it's like it's like it just tells her to play, right? <laughs> now I'm just dying because I'm thinking of Monty Burns doing this instead. <clears throat> so. Max Headroom's head, let's say, appears on the screen. Not the guy, but, you know, in, like, the middle of the screen, not in a subtle way. Remember, he's made a machine, which is supposed to be, like, subtly telling people to do things. It just kind of pops up on screen, and he goes, play more! Something, yeah. like, along those lines. <laughs> yes, play more. But, like, it just pops up going, play yeah. more, and then she, like, yeah, really gets hooked into it. But it's not, like, again, I thought it was going to be maybe subtle, but instead it just really, like, blocks the screen. Like, yeah. Like, a good percentage of the screen and then it's just like, play
1: more! His face is superimposed in the center of the screen. Like, yeah. yeah, it's such a dumb video effect. And like you said, it's supposed to completely telegraph that this is the mind control in action. Because, you know, when you see a face appear out of nowhere telling you to do something, uh, yeah, okay, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, because like, all I could think about was like maybe a Simpsons joke setup where it's just like, <laughs> we're invented this uh, subtle machine that'll make everybody join the nuclear power plant family excellent let's see how it works someone's playing a game and that gets into your face like what the heck was that but apparently this this is subtle right this is subtle very we'll subtle. Accept it.
1: so yeah as jubilee uh, gets more and more into playing because of the suggestion she starts uh, furiously pressing the buttons and her powers start to take effect without her control she fires these bright colorful bursts from her fingertips and they go out into the game cabinet as a crowd starts to gather and takes notice, including Russell, because as we mentioned, he's there in person. And you know, I'm glad she at least used her powers. You know, we were talking about Street mm-hmm. Fighter a few weeks ago and how we don't get many powers, uh, even though there's a lot of cheap effects in this movie. At least we get powers. And Jubilee's fireworks don't look too bad.
0: Eh, for the '90s, is okay. These days, it just looks
1: like all right. That's her powers. Yeah, I mean, it's a dumb video effect, but it's not, again, it's not bad. It's not bad. I I, I enjoyed this.
0: Okay, yeah, it's, it's not bad. But it's very familiar that this setup is like um, the first episode of uh, the X-Men Animated series. Yeah, Jubilee, definitely. again in, you know, a public location using her powers and then
1: getting, you know, seen and then running. Yeah, Jubilee always seems to be in a mall. We see it here, we see it in X-Men Apocalypse, we see it in the first episode of the animated series, Night of the Sentinels. So, yeah, you know, that's it. it's on par for the character of Jubilee. So anyway, this scene ends as the police or mall security show up, and she gives chase, finally being apprehended, in a hail of fireworks. Like, they really go all with the effect here. And the lighting works, you know, I was actually pleased with this effect, considering what it was.
0: My only issue is that everything's very dark in the arcade. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like a lot of black light, I guess, maybe to make the uh, lipstick show up on the kids.
0: Just generally, this whole show is very darkly lit. Unless it's the daytime for a couple of episode, well, episodes, scenes, a couple <laughs> of scenes. God, see, this is how long I thought the, the, the movie went for. I was like, man, i have been watching episodes? <laughs> but yeah, it's very dimly lit there. It's like always dark. And even though her fireworks are going off, there's no extra light. But, you know, her, her powers don't seem to be that dangerous. No. I'm going to say?
1: No, no. Yeah, she, again, young mutant, not with a full understanding of her capabilities yet. Mm. And so, yeah, maybe uh, maybe she'd burn somebody like it was a sparkler or something at this point. But mm. she's easily apprehended. Now, just a profile on the character of Jubilee, also known as Jubilation Lee. She is a member of the X-Men who has the power of creating what's called pyrotechnic energy plasmoids from her hands. Basically, fireworks. Uh, she was created by Chris Claremont and artist Mark Silvestri and made her debut in Uncanny X-Men number 244, May 1989. She went on to basically be the Kitty pride of the 90s, you know, as the young sidekick to the X-Men, a very prominent character, as we talked about in that X-Men animated series, kind of our entry point as viewers, you know, here's where kid's watching and she's the kid getting to join the team and meet everybody. Now, in this film, this is a, a kind of a, a bit of controversy here. She's played by Heather McComb, uh, despite the fact that the character Jubilee is Chinese-American in the comics. This was a very confusing choice to a lot of people. Uh, later, I read this in an interview with Blaster, also known as Sci-Fi Wire. The director Jack Shoulder said that they fell in love with Heather McComb in her punk look, as he describes it. Uh, he later checked the original script and said that the role did not call for an Asian actress. But he did uh, add that the actress Sandra Oh was considered for the role of Emma Frost. So they were open to casting whoever, you know, whoever was good for the part. But for some reason, it wasn't told to the director, you should have an Asian actress, this is an Asian character. So we end up with the Caucasian actress Heather McComb here. Now, I've also read that Dazzler was supposed to be here instead of Jubilee. But because of her popularity in the comics... Uh, they made the switch. you know. Of course, you got to have Jubilee in Generation X. She's in the lineup already. So that might have been a factor in the casting process. I don't know.
0: Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that, that might have been the X Factor in this oh. situation? <laughs> Come on. I can reference that. There was another team. Wasn't there another team called X Factor?
1: Yeah, and that's a whole other confusing thing. The original team by then reformed as X Factor. They were... Pretending to be one thing and doing other things to protect mutants, and then in the in like ninety one, they all merged together. Like we're the X Men again, bl- Blue Team and Gold Team, and yeah, and then another team filled in as X Factor after that. So yeah, it's
0: yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little bit confusing, almost yes. as confusing as is Jubilee still a vampire now?
1: Uh, I think so. I don't. I you know, modern day X Men comics <laughs> confound me. That's why I like the old stuff.
0: It's it's getting into a a, a big old stewpot of a mess, I gotta say. I mean, like, in the X-Men currently you have old Logan from the Parallel Universe story yeah. where Logan got old. But then you also have X-23, who's now the new Logan. But also Logan is dead. But also they're bringing back Ultimate Logan's son yeah, into th- the fold. So,
1: Yeah. the The worlds are so fractured and merged together now. It's so confusing. And then the the movie continuity isn't much better. Uh, In fact, even with the case of Jubilee, we had uh, Jubilee in X-Men, the Bryan Singer movie from 2000, played by Katrina Flores. She kind of shows up in the background. Kia Wong played her in X2 and X-Men The Last Stand. And Lana Condor in X-Men Apocalypse. But now it appears that the actress Lana Condor will have the role going forward with the franchise, which is great. I don't know if... Did you see X-Men Apocalypse?
0: Yes, I sat through that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. It was it had- an okay film. It yeah. was an okay film. Not as good as, was it, uh, the
1: Days of Future Past, which yeah, I think was its peak. Yeah, su- much superior movie. But Lana Condor in X-Men Apocalypse was great. She had that iconic Jubilee look, which was good. So especially when we see her in the shopping mall in that movie. It's a, like perfect uh, Jubilee character. Did she even use her powers in that movie? Maybe in a cutscene, but I-, I can't remember. I don't think so.
0: I thought you'd better say, like, she had that, you know, classic Jubilee look. A yellow jacket.
1: Exactly. But All kinds of flair, you know, buttons and everything and earrings and and very uh, happy and peppy and, you know, welcoming to the other young students. It just reminded me of that idyllic Jubilee from the comics and the cartoon. So, I, I like that. So, anyway, enough about that movie. Let's get right back into this crappy one. So... We next cut to a computer screen, as the powerful mutant detecting machine known as Cerebro detects Jubilee's arrest. Cerebro, here, uh, what do you think, Hamish? What do you think of the look of Cerebro?
0: <laughs> it is, it's just a computer, like it's it's just like a computer. Like you'd have, I don't know, if you're doing like a Night Rider, the Night Rider TV show. You have a main computer or something like that, or any kind of, like, super technology. was just a computer screen. Oh, no, it was a big monitor on a computer bank kind of thing. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) You know, it it wasn't the cool kind of, like, I'm going to a special round room with a helmet kind of thing, and that's Cerebro. I thought it's a good choice, at least it makes sense for people to make sense of a computer. But what didn't make sense is that the next scene it cuts to is uh, Emma Frost sleeping on a bed. But not sleeping like under the covers like a normal human being, like a model would sleep <laughs> <laughs> on top of the bed in a ni- in a silk nightie or something like that. But also her room was lit in this kind of blue like blue light, which I can't yes, sleep with yes. lights on, but she apparently can. But then what happens is that she gets up in a model way with the camera. I don't want to say tilted with this kind of blue light, and her four posts <laughs> of bed with silk sheets and stuff like that. Again, we're getting to a very soft core situation. But then she leaves that room and then just ends up in Cerebro. And all I can think about is like, is Cerebro in her room or is it just like across the, across the way? Because I don't know how she's sleeping. For one, the room is filled with blue light. Two, she's not under the covers so she's not getting warm. I know she's all about, you know, frost or whatever you would call it but she's not getting warm. You know, she's not sleeping properly. And, t- and like three, is Cerebro just got like an alarm that goes up that
1: really annoys just her I get well maybe maybe there's some mental connection I guess. that that's how that's the way I'll make an excuse for this movie. There's a mental connection with the uh, the telepath <laughs> that's, that's' that's the same connection I have when I'm putting some
0: you know hot food into the microwave, I go away, I sense it's ready, and I come back <laughs> that's that's my thing It's like ooh, my pizza pockets are done
1: yes yeah, the, the cerebro should have had a microwave ding. That would have been yeah. much better. And I love the fact that there's a, a computer printout. So imagine uh, <laughs> seeing that in the X-Men films with Patrick Stewart's Professor Xavier going up in this mm. little sprocket-fed printer, you know, printing yeah. out some paper that she has to tear off. Yeah, a a it's... dot matrix printer. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine
0: him with that going, get me the he- printout. <laughs> 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 okay, I'll just be here for a minute. <laughs> 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 it seems to be the mutant, get more toner.
1: Like, <laughs> oh, come on. So, yeah, so from this scene, I guess we had to establish that um, Emma Frost, you know, has a nice bedroom and wears next to nothing. Actually, you know, I should say she wears more here than she does in the comics. You know, in the comics, she practically struts around in lingerie. Uh, I guess they covered her up a little more here. But from here, we cut next to the police station where Jubilee's mother is finding out for the first time that her daughter is a mutant. <laughs>
2: What am I supposed to say? Hey, Mom, I think I'm a mutant, but don't worry, and I'll study harder. Don't take that tone with me. Do you have any idea what kind of trouble you're in? I didn't do anything, okay? They just, they started chasing me, and... You were shooting fire at those guards. I was scared.
1: We cut back to Emma, and now, you know, you talked about Emma (laughs) being cold. Um, And she isn't. He's sleeping right next to a roaring fire all night.
0: Yeah, he's doing the same TV sleeping thing as well, where it's like, you know, I'm only I'm sleeping on my back with my sheets halfway up my body, and I'm shirtless. Yeah, <laughs> he has this huge fire going. Like, I get cold when I sleep sometimes, but I don't turn on, like, you know, I don't set fire to part of the house and just, you know, ignore it. Right. Because, yeah, it's this huge fire. Again, he's covered in light. He's trying to sleep next to a huge fire. I'm surprised he's not sweating and he's awake going, this is a bad idea. Now... I'm not doing the impression of what this version of Banshee sounds like, because let's wait until oh, we get to that
1: point. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: But again, it's very it's very soft core because she walks in, in this fire-lit room, and is still wearing that 90 as she
1: softly tries to
0: wake up Banshee.
1: Very flirtatious moment between the two of them. Uh, I think mm. she even the, mentions uh, wake-up lover or something. Basically, mm. I don't think they're having a relationship, but I think she's teasing him by saying that he's dreaming about her and it's time to wake up.
0: Huh, Banshee. He's crazy. Also, he doesn't look
1: like Banshee from the comics. No, no. He was, his look was fine. It didn't bother me that much. Yeah, so let me just give you a profile on the character of Banshee. His real name is Sean Cassidy. He is an Irish mutant. His abilities include flight and a very powerful sonic scream. He was created by Roy Thomas and Werner Roth. Made his debut in X-Men number 28. Very, very early in the run. January 1967. Now, he's supposed to be Irish, as I mentioned. Here he's played Mm. by Canadian actor Jeremy Ratchford. uh, Who who does kind of a cartoonish version of an Irish accent here. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> it makes sense because, I don't know if you realize, he's also the voice of Banshee in the X-Men cartoon from the 90s.
0: I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting kind of uh, crossover there, isn't it? You know, yeah. He, he got to be Banshee in live action and the cartoon. But also, the voice only works for the cartoon. <laughs> Security protocol Z12,
2: mutant orientation. Here in zones 1 through 4A. Initial reaction time was fair. Proper response. But, like, when your flanks were attacked... You became disoriented. Your brain activity is all over the place. Reaction the time slows down. And that's when the bad decisions come, lad. Procedure goes right to Mother Mary. And all your brilliant computer skills don't mean a thing at this point. Well, what are you waiting for? Hop in. It'd be very cool if we could drive ourselves. That would be cool. But if your mutant identity were compromised, that wouldn't be. And I'm not sure you're ready for that responsibility.
0: Oh, come on. you gotta keep your eye on us. All right, enough of your harpies. He sounds just a little bit too much because it's like he's so irish that it hurts
1: yeah he hits some like i have i have irish friends and they don't even hit those syllables as hard as he does yeah some of them hmm. are like wow okay
0: yeah he's he's really cranking it on no this is this is the first version of banshee compared to the other one uh know live action banshee compared
1: to the other one in first class yes caleb landry was the actor that played him in first class Yeah, and this was the first time we got a live action version of Banshee. Mm. And just speaking of Banshee, just on another side note, you know, we were talking about Cerebro, because Cerebro is really, you know, Professor Xavier's tool that he uses. Uh, I can't remember if Generation X had their own Cerebro. I got to imagine they do, only because the Banshee figure from the Generation X action figure line came with a portable Cerebro. Why him and not Emma Frost? Maybe because. The helmet won't fit on her head with the the hair, you know, but he had a a, a Cerebro gun. It fit on top of his head and it had a tube that went down to a gun that went into his hand. So I guess we could say that Generation X could exist in the same world as X-Men here uh, and they just have their own version of Cerebro like Professor X gave them a copy of the software or something. So back at the police station, Jubilee's mother is informed that as an unregistered mutant, Jubilee will be sent away to a mutant camp. Now, cutting to the exterior of the police station, as Jubilee's mother walks down the front steps, she's approached by Banshee and Emma, who offer her an alternative destination for her daughter, the Xavier Institute. Uh, She's not sold on the deal, which it's like, you know, okay, you know the alternative, but once Banshee tries to convey the seriousness of the situation, she relents. Uh, Banshee and Emma then enter the station and release Jubilee into their custody, using Emma's mind powers to pose as. Did you catch the names of these officers? Oh, it's hoodie and the Blowfish joke. It was <laughs> Officer and Blowfish. <laughs> we didn't
0: need that. It's just like, uh... but like, but like, I think I think for the comment here because this is again they're trying to reestablish who these guys like. These are two X Men. Professionals will say, let's we'll say mm-hmm. ex-professionals." Uh, I like the conversation they have outside with the woman. She's like, "I don't like having conversations in dark streets." But the whole street is colorful. They're like, <laughs> yes. the, there are light, there are like green and red, uh, pink lights on the building and on the streets. is like, they're in front of a police station. She should feel like safe as houses. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then when she says like, it's "like I can't afford any expensive school." Uh, what was it? It's like it's a school. It's a school for special people, like your daughter or something like that. And then she's like, "I can't afford an expensive boarding school." And then like Emma, who doesn't really answer the question, just goes, "We're here to help you." Yeah, you know, she that was kind mad. Yeah, it's just like you didn't answer the question. She has no money. That's not the point here. You know, it's like the the mutant thing. That's on the side, but it's no money. But no, it's funny that you know she agrees that they go inside and they go to help Jubilee uh, with a hoodie and Blowfish joke.
1: <laughs> yes, because it's 1996, in case you haven't noticed. I, I didn't notice. I didn't <laughs> notice. So they spring Jubilee. We, we cut outside of the station. Jubilee thanks them for helping her escape, and she tries to walk off, but Banshee informs her, no, she's coming with them. And Emma scans her mind to read her abilities, and Banshee kind of tells Jubilee that, you know, we're mutants just like you. So... On another side note here, Emma detects that in addition to Jubilee's fireworks, she also has a limited telepathic ability. Not from the comics, but just probably better to serve a moment later on in the movie. So, (laughs) they kind of drop that in there. Oh, she's a little bit of a telepath, just enough for one scene that they have planned later. Mm. So, as they drive away together... Uh, Jubilee is told that her priorities in life are now shifted and she'll be trained to be a superhero.
0: Yeah, and then she accepts and then they all go off into, I want to say, like they should have some sort of X vehicle, right? Like the, right. the, the coolest X vehicle because like the X-Men have like your X-Bikes, they have like the X-Jet. What vehicle did I get into, Scott?
1: It seemed to be some sort of van or SUV.
0: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they couldn't afford anything cool like an X-Van. It's just like, all right, you're joining the X-Men. We're a group of superhero team. We wear, we wear costumes that were pretty cool. I'm doing a weird Scottish-Irish accent, but who cares? Uh, and then they just get into... Let's get into my Jeep Wrangler, I guess.
1: <laughs> the Nissan X-Terra.
0: Come on, everybody. Into my Datsun 120Y. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, I guess, again, to make an excuse for this movie, he mentions in this scene that they want to keep a low profile. Um, (laughs) Which, it's funny because Jubilee's like, do I have to wear one of those goofy costumes? And Emma gives, like, almost a look towards the camera, which was pretty funny. So next they meet up with Angelo at the bus terminal. And they introduce Angelo to Jubilee. So from here, we cut back to Russell's office where he's excitedly telling his associate Bobby that in the middle of his latest brainwashing, er, advertising campaign, he detected a level 3 mutant brain. So uh, this is a good thing, I guess, for him. Bobby asks, as the rest of us watching, why is a mutant brain so special? And Russell explains that years ago when he was working uh, with Emma Frost at the program, she explained how there was a doorway between the real world and the dream world.
0: That doesn't really... It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's like, for her, maybe like you know, yeah it's like with the x with these you know mutant brains you can do so many cool things you could probably cure cancer you could probably open a door to a new dimension you could probably learn how to make a new version of the shamwow i'm guessing these are a bunch <laughs> of things that she said but he was like you can open a door huh into another reality and she's like yeah but if if you if you've got that power if you're psychic and he's like ah, another door into another what place and he just walks off it's like you didn't listen to the rest that I said. You have to be a specific mutant with that power,
1: right? And we've Doesn't seen that in the comics. It. That's not too far fetched. That it's not the dream world, but we've seen where Professor X can do battle uh, only in the astral plane with his powers and stuff. But never, we never see this as a physical realm because. Professor X usually has c- full control of his body in that form, and usually right. it's shown as some sort of, you know, like, transparent-looking artwork or something. You know what I mean? Like, you can hmm. tell it's not the real world. There's no doorway. Professor X can't open up a door for Wolverine to go in and and fight some, you know, the Shadow King or something. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. But yeah. here, they're calling it the dream world, and in this world, in this reality, oh, yeah, you can open up a doorway good. And so, <laughs> here we, we learn Russell's plans, I guess. he's a, If he's able to get a hold of some mutant brain cells, he'll be able to bring together dreams and reality, making him an omnipotent super being with unlimited mind-controlling potential. And this still doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And <laughs> I guess he's gotta inject it into his own brain? Is that, that the idea?
0: It, wh- yeah. Because it's <laughs> like, he can take the dream world and reality and make them one. So you're performing illusions like
1: Mysterio? I don't, I don't guess, know. That it? So Bobby asks about the dream machine his company has been funding this whole time. But Russell explains, oh, this is just a baby toy compared to the power of a mutant brain. So Bobby, you know, is very skeptical of, of Russell. He's trying to tell him just, well, keep your new big plans under wraps. Don't scare away the board, just demonstrate to them the dream machine as we planned so the funding won't be cut off. You know, he's just looking still at at the business prospects of this mind uh, advertising. So anyway, we cut back to Banshee and Emma. We see it's the next morning as they finally reach the front gates of the Xavier School for Gifted Children. Okay, so let's get into this now. This is the mansion that was used... In the X-Films, X-Men, X2, and X-Men The Last Stand. This is exactly the same building, which is pretty amazing. And now, also, you might recognize it as the Luther Mansion from Smallville, the Queen Family Mansion in Arrow. This place, this is actually called Hatley Castle in Colwood, British Columbia. As I mentioned, they filmed in uh, British Columbia, so, uh, you know, they very fortunately had this huge X-Men-like mansion here. Probably Fox kept that in mind a few years later for the X-Men films, but it's a uh, Canadian National Historic Site. Mm. Very beautiful building. But it, it begs the question now, is this the X-Mansion, or is this the Xavier Institute in Western Massachusetts? We're not really sure here.
0: No, I mean, like, it's, it's funny because as soon as you see it in this episode, you're like, wow, there are better things filmed here. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, it's, it's it's annoyingly so distinct that you look at it going... Because, you know, you know, four years later, they do the X-Men movie. You look at it, and it's like, like... It kind of fits in the continuity of the X-Men in a strange way. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, oh, they're using the exact same place. Well, it's very empty. I gotta say that. Yes, <laughs> very empty. Like, as soon as they come into it. But I feel bad for um, the character, Skin, who apparently was it he was driven from from, with his dad uh to a bus station got on a bus travel all the way to the city then got into another car traveled all the way to the x mansion (laughs) it's like he's been on a bus or some
1: sort of vehicle for like hours maybe a full day oh at least at least because he starts out in los angeles whether this is westchester new york or berkshire county massachusetts either way he's driving cross-country this is multiple days at this point yeah he needs sleep and food (laughs) Yes. So, again, we're not sure, you know, who knows, if this took off as a series, maybe we'd learn, oh yeah, we're in in western Massachusetts, and, you know, maybe there's a scene where she gets a phone call from Xavier in Westchester. But, we never got that far, so who knows, this could be the X-Mansion and the X-Men don't exist in this world. We just Mm. don't know. So anyway, back to the movie, Inside the School, they're led to a back room where Jubilee and Angelo are given retinal and full body scans before they can be introduced to the other students at the school. And uh, here we get Banshee's line. Uh, Don't worry, darling. The place has been updated since Frankenstein lived here.
0: Oh, get it? Because it's supposed to be old. Yes. It's, it looks fine. The building looks exactly the same as it always, always has. But do you know what the full body scan was for? No. That was for the action figure. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's exactly
0: like every new x mens going to have another action figure we just need a full body scan so we can get that pumped out in, in like you know any time now I mean we've already got like the uh, X-Men arcade the toys we really want to get this whole process going
1: <laughs> I do have to say th- this was the first time because of Generation X that we got a Jubilee action figure because I you know I had all the X-Men figures and they, they never made a Jubilee finally a Jubilee was coming out and it looked terrible so it certainly <laughs> didn't come from this scan her face was like really bad very bad sculpt on that figure. Mm. Yeah, Ju- they're doing these body scans, and Ju- uh, Jubilee's obviously horrified that she has to go through this with uh, Emma. And Angelo actually doesn't mind the idea of Jubilee stripping over behind the screen. That is until Banshee was like, oh, don't worry, you're next. And you get that kind of wah wah moment. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> you
0: make it seem like there's another X Men who has that power the ironic trombone. Yeah, wah wah. Wah wah. <laughs> what, what, where are you going? I'm needed.
1: Uh, all right, so after the scanning is done, Jubilee and Angelo step into the backyard where the other students, Monet, or M, Mondo, Kurt, or Refrax, and Arlie, also known as Buff, are playing football. And this is another great thing to tie to the comics. Uh, this was a common sight in X-Men. The, the team kind of unwinding by playing some sort of outdoor sport, And, you know, one of the members of the team saying something like, you know, hey, you're not allowed to use powers. It just takes me right back to the comics playing in the backyard of the the X-Mansion. So that's a great scene here. I enjoyed that. But uh, things don't go so well for the new members here. Angelo makes a joke about being there on a football scholarship and asking to see the coach. But Refrax and Mondo don't find him funny at all, calling him dork and butthead. Like, really aggressive right off the bat. Yeah, they really just kind of hooked into him. Yeah.
0: What's wrong with you? There's no one else here. Yes. There's nobody in the school. Why are you making fun of the only other friends that you could have?
1: And we presume that these are also new members. It doesn't seem like they've been there much longer. But it's just mm. like, oh, we're, we're, we've been here a whole day longer than you, you butthead. <laughs> so stupid.
0: Here's the thing, what I found interesting in that scene, though. Talking about the merchandising, uh, the character of Kurt, the dude wearing glasses, even though he looks like, you know, he looks like snow- Remember that song, Informer? Oh, yes. <laughs> he looks just like that. That's the problem. Um, he He's wearing a shirt, if you notice, it has Wolverine's face on it. Oh, really? I didn't even
1: notice that.
0: No, because I, I noticed it. I was like, wait, what's that? Because it has this kind of, the, the patterning looked weird. I was like, what is this? No, he actually is wearing a Wolverine like <laughs> jumper t-shirt underneath these uh, layers and layers.
1: Oh, that's great. I did not even notice that.
0: Yeah, I had to double check it. Yeah, it, it looks like it's a Wolverine. It's the um, classic style of his mask, but I think it's like it had the more of a blue tint on it for his you know mask thing. But yeah, I, it, I was looking at it going. That's that's a like another X Men property, like another piece of merchandise that's on his shirt.
1: So weird, yeah.
0: I know. I can, all I can think about is like Wolverine going. All right, guys, get my face. <laughs> Put on a shirt. Where's morph?
1: Wait a minute. Are you making fun of somebody putting their face on a t-shirt? What What are you talking about?
0: Huh? I, I don't understand what you're talking about. This. Yeah, yeah. How is this going to lead into another thing that I'm suddenly le-
1: leading towards? I, I just find it quite ironic that you're poking fun at the idea of somebody putting their face on a t-shirt when you yourself have such a, a similar business plan, as we'll get to in the plug section at the very end. We don't have time to get into it here.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, the plug section at the end where I tell people to go to Redbubble, type in Silent should look for a t-shirt. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs>
1: Uh, all right so anyway Arlie next approaches Angelo and Jubilee she seems to be the only nice one right off the bat really the only likable character so far (laughs) and she introduces herself as well as the others we get a little exposition here Um, you'll notice that she is wearing oversized sweats and we'll learn that there's a reason for that
2: hi my name's Arlie that's Mondo Kurt and Monet I'm Jubilee this is Angelo They want to know what kind of mutant powers you have. Oh, um, fireworks shoot out of my fingers. It's called thermodynamic emission. Kurt has something similar, and that comes out of his eyes.
1: That's right. I can, uh, melt glass and see-through pantyhose. Ooh, change those. (laughs) And I guess that explains why he has sunglasses, I guess. Yeah, or he's the worst Cyclops ever. (laughs) There's also a a commercial tie-in to a sunglasses company. We'll get into that as well. So that might be the reason for it. But yeah, he's a a rip-off Cyclops, pretty much. Uh, Kurt's other power that he claims to have is that he can see through clothes, but Arlie denies it, and Kurt's like, well, I'm working on it. You know, he's just a real sleaze in this. Now, the, the character, just a profile on this. Kurt Pistorius is his name, also known as Refrax. I don't think we ever hear him mentioned as Refrax, do we? Uh, Not really. Maybe in passing, but always referred to as Kurt. He's another character created just for the movie. He's used in place of the character Chamber from Generation X from the comics. Do you, do you remember the character Chamber by any chance?
0: Uh, He's a dude who has, like, was it, he, he destroyed his own body. I think I remember we were wearing like a trench coat or like a black kind of coat. Like he has kind of a body,
1: but underneath the body is this all energy. Yes, exactly. He's basically a chamber. His body serves as a chamber for intense energy. And it was so much that he actually blew off the bottom half of his face and chest and could only talk through telepathy. So you can imagine when when they were trying to make a movie of these characters, they're like, oh no, we cannot afford this. So yes. instead it's like, we how, get how eyeball is, man. How much is
0: budget? It's, it's,
1: it's not that big. <laughs> All right, eyeball guy. Uh, yeah, that works. Yeah, rip off Cyclops. Fr- frost those tips. Mm. <laughs> so he's he's played here by Randall Slavin. That's the name of the actor here. Now, Skin uh, introduces himself. He explains that he has thermo flexibility manipulation. Basically, his skin stretches. Uh, Mondo cracks a joke about that, and but they decide to play football. Uh, so Monet is the quarterback. She throws a pass to Angelo, but Mondo grabs the ball and runs with it. Taking Angelo's hand along with him, which stretches his arm a few dozen yards downfield, and this is, you know, another funny uh, <laughs> powers moment here. All I can all I can think about is the visual gag where it's like
0: it's somebody just standing behind <laughs> behind the actor, putting his hand through his arm, <laughs> and then like they had just digitally put the the robbery arm to the other actor that's far
1: away. Yeah, they do that quite a bit here. Oh yes, so. While Mondo's distracted, the rest of the kids pig pile on top of him. And this pig pile is really stupid. They're not really even doing anything. Finally, Banshee breaks it up with a sonic scream. And here we get a little bit of uh, Banshee's powers with a digital effect. <laughs> kind of waves mm. the air around. <laughs> you know, he, has, he blows finger guns when he's done with his <laughs> power.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's trying to be like the cool teacher. He's like, finger guns, powers. And then the guy with the um, uh, air compressor comes out and blows them all <laughs> on the ground again. The guy with the air compressor is getting a lot of work. He's, he's been a mainstay through Hollywood. I think recently he's now working at uh, on the TV show The
1: Flash. Yes.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: uh, what do you need, sir? Well, I need an outlet to plug in my air gun, and I need probably about five open reams of paper just lying around, please.
0: Okay, so what should we do? Put the camera on the guys, I'll fire the air, then turn the camera to left, and we'll have our actor there. And it makes it look like he's he's just come into the room. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing stuff.
1: All right, so that night, Arlie is showing Jubilee to her bedroom. This is a room that all the girls have to share. It's like, this mansion is huge, and all three girls have to share one bedroom?
0: It's a dorm room. It, you know, they're trying to be chummy and you know friends and stuff like that. Uh, And also, I'm guessing the other rooms are all taken because it's so big
1: with all the (laughs) X-Men. Yes. It kind of makes you think. I wonder if this is like a subdivision of the X-Men, but no. I mean, this is a very empty mansion. They're the only ones there, but I guess the other rooms are occupied by secret machines? I don't know. Just (laughs) full of X-Men merchandise, arcade
0: cabinets, t-shirts... Uh. toys it's just it's just packed to the brim but also this room is very dark yet again i don't know why everything's dimly lit can't they afford electricity i thought they're rich but then like outside <laughs> there seems to be more green and pink purpley light yes again i don't how do you sleep at night in this universe you, you can't it's like there's this blue light that's really just coming through the window right now it's like <laughs> are you living in the city no we're living pretty far away from the, the, the we're in like the suburbs Where's this neon light coming from?
1: I don't know. (laughs) Now, in this scene, Arlie leaves to change in the bathroom, and Jubilee says, oh, I'll go with you, but Arlie asks to be alone. So after she exits, Monet explains that Arlie always hides her body because she has completely out-of-control musculature, and this is why, of course, she wears the giant sweatshirts. Uh, We learn that Arlie can run at about 60 miles an hour. Spoiler, we never see that happen. Yep. Uh we also learned that she's stronger than Mondo, but her body is, quote, totally freak dimension. Some great nineties writing there.
0: Here's the thing, I like how was it Jubilee found it weird that she wanted to change alone. It's like it's well, not weird. <laughs> no. Everybody wants to wants to change by themselves. <laughs> I don't just stand in the middle of a room and go, Alright guys, I'm changing and just drop my pants. I mean <laughs> It seems kind of strange. I mean, I get that this is kind of a mixture of that whole, like, you know, teenage thing where it's like, oh, I don't want people looking look at my body. I'm so strange and different. Yeah. I feel like an outsider. Strange enough, this this whole episode, movie, god, they said episode again, movie, movie, movie. we'll go with is, movie. It turns into Degrassi yeah,
1: we, Junior High. Yeah, we didn't have much of Degrassi here in the States, but yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And it was filmed in Canada, so Yeah. But, you know, Jubilee, imagine from her standpoint, she immediately shows up and has to do a body scan. So to her, she probably thinks, oh, everyone just strips whenever. So I can't blame her. I blame Emma. (laughs) Emma in a weird outfit. Now, uh, just a profile on Arlie Hicks, this character, also known as Buff, which I don't think we ever really hear her refer to as Buff. She is the third major character created for this movie. Uh, Just like Kurt. She's a less expensive substitution for a character from the comics. In this case, she's in the place of Husk. Husk is also uh, known as Paige Guthrie, the little sister of Cannonball. Uh, She has the ability in the comics to completely tear off her skin, revealing different substances or a healed body underneath. So yeah, this was probably way too complex Mm. of a power for the studio to depict. So instead, we get a girl that wears baggy sweatpants and a baggy sweatshirt much more economical
0: yeah i mean it's, it's affordable but it's it's kind of you only get one moment where we kind of see this in i guess revealed in a way yes and it's kind of uh, it's just uh, it's enough
1: yeah that's you know it's the cheaper alternative than uh, you know imagine if they even try to pull off that effect it would never work so instead we get the super strong girl in sweatsuits But uh, she's played here by Suzanne Davis. That's the name of the actress here. So Monet next explains her powers to Jubilee. Uh, Basically, she's perfect. And she is not afraid to tell you that she is perfect. She has advanced brain functions, high-density skeletal mass, superior tissue and endocrinology. She's immune to all known viral and bacterial entities. She has level 8 invincibility, which is like, do you collect your own trading cards? (laughs) <laughs> including mm. high-dynamic thermal repulsion, to which Jubilee replies, well, you're sure repulsing me. And Zing. Again, the characters have to not get along, so Monet goes on to say that, oh, I'm not bragging, I'm just warning you that I'm the last person you should mess with.
0: Yeah, she... She. This, none of this actually does come into play throughout the rest of the episode, <laughs> I, I believe. Because I, I remember her just kind of being like, hey, I'm the tough, smart, sassy girl. None of this matters, because her character is barely in the rest of this thing. Yeah. I mean, she just really get many lines later on, and the, this incredible ability doesn't really come into a play.
1: Not really. That, just a profile on Monet, also known as Monet St. Croix, or M in the comics. She is a mutant with a near-perfect skill set, including strength, intelligence, flight. We don't see her fly here. Uh, she made her debut in Uncanny X-Men number 316. Now, how we see her in the movie is pretty much how she was depicted in the comics, to a point. Uh, Later, her story got way more complicated with the reveal, now listen to this, imagine if they try to pull this off, that who they thought was Monet was actually her twin sisters Claudette and Nicole who had the power to merge while the real Monet was inhabiting the body of a mysterious red diamond skinned girl named Penance. Yep, sounds like X-Men to me. It's it was so crazy. And and I'm wondering if this was picked up as a popular series, if they just would have opted not to make so many twists later on, you know, and just keep it consistent. But yeah, so what we're looking at as Monet is actually a merged form of her twin sisters pretending to be her while she's imprisoned in this diamond skinned body of another character.
0: Comics, everybody! Get into them whenever you can. They're confusing.
1: Yeah, and so here Monet is played by the actress Amaryllis. Just one name, like Sting, Madonna, Cher. Table. (laughs) Oh, sorry. sorry, I thought we were just saying things. So, cutting to the boys' bedroom, we see that they're not getting along much either. Uh, Kurt makes fun of Angelo, calling him Dermaflex, uh, adding that the mutant god was in a funny mood when his turn came along. Like, really harsh. Yeah, these guys are are bad dudes. Yeah, or, you know, it's just so forced that they are not supposed to get along early on and be friends by the end. Now, it's also in this scene where Mondo explains that his power is to become as solid as anything he touches. He says, wood, rock, steel, it's all good. (laughs) It is, it's, it's all good. No, just a profile on Mondo. Mondo is a mutant with the ability to absorb and take the form of any material he touches. Similar almost to Absorbing Man. You know that character? Mm. But Mondo can also absorb organic matter as well, which I'm not sure Absorbing Man can do. His figure even has like uh, wooden or stone kind of uh, shells that you can kind of clip onto his arms to kind of make the appearance of that he absorbed those materials so i I guess that's kind of like the idea of what we get here but he's a very interesting character in the comics he made his debut in generation x number three and he's portrayed in the comics as like this upbeat fun-loving samoan mutant but later it was revealed that the mondo that everyone knew and loved was just a clone made by black tom cassidy as a way to infiltrate his cousin banshee's school Uh, He later turned on Generation X and was killed. And then when the real Mondo showed up in Generation X number 60, he was just this villain allied with Black Tom Cassidy. And the Generation X team was all disappointed to find out that this Mondo, the real Mondo, was not their friend at all. He was just the original mutant whose clone they befriended.
0: It's always something like that, isn't it? Clones, robots, a guy pretending to be another guy. It's crazy. It's,
1: it's, a, it's a terrible life to lead as an X-Man, x Men, X-Person, X-Individual. Yeah, this team just completely fell apart. And, and like Monet's case, I wonder what would have happened in the comics if this Generation X series was picked up and really took off with Mondo as a central character. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you wonder what would have changed. So anyway, here he's played by Bumper Robinson. Are you familiar with his work at all, Hamish? I've seen the face. I've forgotten what he's been in. He's acted in a whole bunch of stuff, but you may remember him best as Dwight, the son of Hermes on Futurama, but he's a prolific voice actor. He's in all kinds of animation, all kinds of video games. He's in one of the Arkham games. He's done voices for. He's just in everything. All kinds of voiceover work. Very prolific voice actor. So anyway, back to the movie here. Next, Skin jokingly asks what happens if Mondo eats Jell-O, which gets a laugh out of Kurt. And, you know, Mondo, of course, doesn't find it funny at all just like very simple joke uh, nothing near as bad as you know the mutant god <laughs> like took a day off when you came along or you know something like that all he mentions is oh what happens if you touch Jell-O Mondo gets so mad he says you know I don't like Jell-O and, and Kurt's like you know I know you don't I know you don't and I don't know if this was intentional but just on a side note Bumper Robinson's first role was in a Jell-O pop pudding commercial when he was kid <laughs> So, this may or may not have been a reference to him. Like, you know, I don't like Jello. So, the next morning, the team is waiting outside of the bathroom door for Arlie to come out. Again, this mansion has only one bathroom? Yeah. I remember, is- it's, a, it, it's, it's a mansion with only one bathroom.
0: Because that's how the designers wanted it. I assume the rest of the rooms, again, are filled with merchandise, clothing, arcades. Snooker tables, <laughs> fridges, I don't know. I don't know why nobody else is here. Also, they're the only ones, again, who want to use this bathroom. You don't see Beast turning up or like Wolverine no. No. or anybody just kind of going, oh, I guess I need to use the bathroom too. Guys, <laughs> it's me, Beast. It's no, there's so nothing. There's, there's no
1: one else walks the hallway either. No. Completely abandoned mansion. We got to imagine there's no other X-Men here. And probably half the mansion is... Emma Frost's bedroom. I mean, the size of that thing was huge. And these poor girls have to share a room and these guys too. I mean, Mm. it just doesn't make sense. Now, there's a scene here. Kurt pretends to see through the door at Arlie and he gets her to come out. He pretends to to see her naked. And he gives a rude compliment that we will not repeat here, uh, which we saw in the version we watched for this podcast. But in the original Fox airing, the alternate line was, Outstanding glutes. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't in the one I saw. No, it wasn't. Uh-uh. It's so funny uh, to see both versions because, you know, very distinctly, I know the one I watched as a kid. And it seems that, and these weren't dubbed over lines. These were just reshot scenes. And so it's interesting that there was like a movie version of this with curses and, you know, language that you could not use on American television anyway. They're edgy and they're cool. Yeah. It's Generation X, man. Yeah. So Arlie comes out. She threatens Kurt saying that if he ever did use his powers on her, she'd cut off his head and stick it to Mondo's butt. And this is where Skin laughs and says, welcome to Xavier's school for live organ transplants. And taking this as a joke at his expense, Mondo grabs a handful of the skin off Angelo's chest and just painfully twists it. Like really brutal. So, we next cut to the team getting a tour of the security room along with Cerebro. And unlike the Cerebro in the film franchise, this one is just merely a series of small monitors surrounded by, I guess, green neon lights.
0: Yeah, again, those green lights and just any kind of lighting, again, in weird places pop up. <laughs> but what I think is funny is that I feel like when they start telling about Cerebro and they tell him, like, this is what you have to do, you're going to have to monitor the system, do this, do that, I feel like they got tricked into going to a technical college.
1: Yeah, really. It certainly <laughs> seems
0: that way. It's like, welcome to Xavier school for technical computer training. This is what we're going to learn about the, uh, you know, compact Presario. <laughs> You'll be learning how to use a compact Presario. Do any of you know how to use DOS? <laughs> it's
1: a new thing called a USB. <laughs> it's a magical device. <sighs> it can store five photos. <laughs> anyway... Angelo for some reason is singled out and asked to get familiar with the security system. So this next brings us to their classroom with Emma Frost as their teacher, because this is a school after all. And this class is very weird. Emma shows them a series of cards featuring pattern designs. And the students are told to relax and concentrate, and they will be able to detect subliminal messages coded within these patterns. And... Angelo seems to be picking up on this, and he's just silently writing them down to himself, these messages. At the same time he's writing them down, Jubilee is saying them out loud. Uh, One of them is right before your very eyes, and the other one is a word to the wise. Like, this really makes no sense, but basically this scene is in here so that we learn that they both have a limited amount of telepathic abilities. Again, not not from the comic at all, but used here for this brainwave-heavy plot. Mm. So Emma gives them the assignment to monitor their dreams, and by doing this, they will discover that dreams are actually threads that connect everyone. She also elaborates, saying that if one could enter the dream world, they could basically do anything, because there, they would no longer have their physical form, but be as unstoppable as a thought. Even though we do learn that that's not true later on, but okay. Okay.
0: I like how the first class doesn't seem to be an intro class where they get to know each other and yeah, you know, we're just talking about the history of mutants. No, it's just going to talk about some really bizarre stuff.
1: That doesn't even We're talk about dreams to-
0: now. <laughs> class one dreams. It's like, wh- but where? Where's the other bathroom and the other X Men? Nope, we're talking about dreams. <laughs> where do I get my reader for the entire semester? Dreams today, everybody. We're talking about dreams. But my mutant power isn't involved with dreams. I can fly and shoot lasers. Dreams, everybody. Let's get on it.
1: It's, It's so stupid. This class does not even apply to everybody. It's like poor Arlie is sitting there. It's like, here, look at these patterns. She's like, I only have the power to have a muscly back. Like this, I'm going to fail this class. It just makes no sense at all. And I love later on in the X-Men movies, you know, they're learning history. They're learning mathematics. It's a school. Mm. This is, you know, their powers are a whole nother thing.
0: In this version, Wolverine's doing a home ec
1: course. (laughs) (laughs)
0: This is how we make a nice quiche.
1: Uh Look at the quiche. (laughs) Uh, We also get a line here where Emma tells the kids that the dream world is another universe that's also been known for centuries. And mentioning that medieval warriors would mentally go there to escape pain. And Jubilee also is interested in reading a book about the subject. So anyway, that just sets up that Jubilee's looking for a book. Alright, so later we cut to the rec room where the team is listening to music, they're playing pool, they're watching TV. Uh, A man on TV compares the mutants to an epidemic. So, what does Kurt do? He turns off the TV normally with his finger, right? He goes Close. over the TV, turns it off, and then nothing else happens. He right? turns it off. He turns it off. You got that. Um, but actually, okay. he lowers his shades and just blasts right. the TV, causing like a little explosion in the rec room. And you know, everyone's pretty cool with it.
0: Thanks for destroying the TV. We only got one bathroom, <laughs> one TV. Thanks, Kurt, for breaking the t- only TV. How are we going to watch... Comedy Central now. <laughs> Was that around? Yeah, Comedy Central in the mids? Yeah? No?
1: Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah, thanks, Kurt. Break a TV.
1: Good work. <laughs> so the kids want to go into town, but they will only be allowed when Emma and Banshee feel they're ready. So, okay, well, they, they don't get to go yet. So from here, we cut to Angelo sitting in the security room with basically a keyboard and a mixing board <laughs> in front of him. <laughs>
0: And the manual to, like, Cerebro.
1: Yeah, that's kind (laughs) of classified. And he's monitoring the mansion. This is a very high-tension shot. I remember this was in the commercial, you know, because this is just crazy. All of a sudden, an intruder is detected. Alarms are going off. Angelo springs into action. He's furiously flipping through those pages, typing on the keyboard, and shouting commands into his headset, Uh, even though the gates are being locked, as we see on the digital screen uh, more zones of the mansion are being compromised alarms are going off more and more angelo shouts for help and we read that arlie banshee and kurt have been killed so it's like what in the world is going on so just then a masked person in black walks up and holds a gun to his head the computer then goes simulation complete and then we see that the masked intruder was monet And the team walks in, Banshee assesses his reaction and response, and it's just more training. And and imagine, they give Monet a gun, and put it to his head? Like, this is a fellow student. She is not a teacher here. Like, she... Well, I mean, they shouldn't even do that to begin with, but definitely not a fellow student, who also needs to be trained. But
0: also, I don't understand the training.
1: Is it to learn? Like, is it just they're doing a computer
0: simulation, or are they physically walking through the building? Because... If so, none of this makes sense because his powers is stretching. You're supposed to be learning how to use your powers. It's not learning how to deal with when your computer needs to defrag and also update at the same time. <laughs> That's what it seems to be doing. And he's flipping through the pages of the manual, but also hitting buttons, and nothing really much is happening. Like It's like he doesn't know how to use a computer, and yet, for some reason, there's a physical element to this computer-based situation...
1: Yeah, Well, he does drop a line in the middle of the chaos that he was some sort of hacker back home. So I guess they know that he has some computer knowledge and that's why he was picked. Even though Monet seems to be the smartest person.
0: Yeah, they they seem to be picking the wrong guys for uh, the wrong situations here.
1: Yeah, very weird. But that just sets up that Angelo is learning the security system. That he has control over.
0: Yeah, and if he doesn't work it out, it's going to get shot in the head. Hmm. I mean, you're talking
1: about the danger room. Talk about the danger of life. <laughs> so, we next cut to the school library where Angelo is also looking for that book that Jubilee wants to read about mutant metaphysics. But he finds out Jubilee has it first, so he joins her to read it, and of course they find out it's written by Emma Frost. Oh, she was just plugging her own book.
0: Yeah, she's like, you should read a book by this very talented woman who sounds like me, but isn't. And she's <laughs> really good at the book stuff. You know? I'm just saying, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, uh, or anyone else's trumpet, but you should check it out. Maybe she's using the subtle uh, ability of subtly telling them mentally to go get the book, to read how good she writes. Because this book is a mess. Studying Mutant Metaphysics, right?
2: By Emma Frost. What's it like? It's totally mega weird. It's got some... Bizarre stuff about those threads of consciousness. Can I check it out? Why do you want to learn how to dream travel? Because I hate this place. wish I could send my brain on a vacation. Why are you so interested? I just want to go into my parents' dreams and see why they sent me to this place. Look here. With continued practice and meditation, the mutant will find himself facing a white light. This is similar to the white light seen by people who've had near-death experiences the challenge for the mutants to hold onto the white light and ride it onto the dream web. Look at this. Emma Frost was involved in a government program developing a machine that could access the dream world.
1: Uh, they're reading it because Angelo hates it there and wants to send his brain on a vacation. Jubilee wants the book because she wants to visit her parents' dreams to find out why they sent her to the Xavier School, Very poor writing. We know exactly why they sent her, because she'd be dead otherwise. These two strangers agreed to take her away to the other side of the country, or somewhere far off, and keep her safe. She should know this. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense why she's mad at her parents. They helped save her life. She did, but she wants to see what the dreams are like. So wait, they'll be
0: dreaming of the reason (laughs) why they sent their daughter away. That seems like a dumb thing because it's like if anyone if I if I followed this logic it's like apparently anyone can figure out what I was thinking or doing in a day or whatever by just going to my dream so it's like, "Yeah, I'm going to get myself a sandwich." Why would Hamish get himself a sandwich? <laughs> and then it's like they go into my dream and I'm sitting there going, "I'm hungry." That's it.
1: It's it's very poor motivations for these characters. You know, instead of just being mm. curious, they have to give them the very specific thing. Angelo, as I can understand, where he's just like, I heard you can escape pain. I, I want to escape this pain of being bullied by Mondo at every second, yeah. <laughs> getting uh, three foot purple nurples or something. You know, I-, I can, I understand that, but Jubilee's motivation makes no sense. Mm-hmm.
0: She could just call them. Because in the scene beforehand, this is like, oh, your parents called. Yeah. And she just says, like, no, no, tell them I'm not here.
1: Yeah, good point. Very good point. <laughs>
0: She could have just taken a call from them,
1: but instead decides to use science. Yeah, it's it's exactly this dream machine, as we find out. Angelo reads in the book about Emma's secret program that developed the dream machine. <laughs> so, so this is
0: why the book is terrible. Why would you put that information in your own book? Because
1: it helps the movie. <laughs>
0: it's like, it's like we, can't, we can't be bothered explaining this. Just let's hurry up.
1: They're reading the novelization of Generation X, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So cutting back to Russell, remember, he and Bobby are preparing for Russell's presentation to the board. So, of course, Russell's acting is all over the place, sometimes being calm and measured, but then also yelling about forcing Emma to grovel at his feet as a god. It's just, it's this crazy aside. So we go back to the mansion where the team is about to be driven into town by Banshee. Uh, they ask if they can go alone. Banshee reluctantly allows them, calling them Harpies. <laughs> like, yeah. Does he think that's a, that's an Irish thing, so he has to throw that in there? Yeah.
0: Again, he's very, very Irish.
1: <laughs> so anyway, the, the kids are finally allowed to go into town. So they drive into this very quaint-looking New England town. Uh, I'm guessing it's supposed to be a New England town or an upper state New York town, either way. Uh, The girls go clothes shopping, and uh, Jubilee in one of the stores makes Arlie try on kind of a small outfit, even though she really doesn't want to. And so when Jubilee steps into the changing area, she accidentally sees Arlie from behind, who they show (laughs) changing as a massive bodybuilder. Now, again, Jubilee with boundary issues. It's like, (laughs) let people change by themselves. I know Emma gave you the wrong impression off the bat, but let people change by themselves.
0: Yeah, the effect is basically like she is like the other actress is there in front of the mirror. She pulls up her shirt. It cuts to Jubilee walking in. That cuts back to a, a bodybuilder as they back. pull up the shirt. Yeah, with a massive, you know, ripped back. And then cuts back to Jubilee going, "Oh!" And it cuts back to the actress who's put the shirt down. No, she's got the shirt off, but she's covering her front, I think. And then she turns around and goes, "What was it?" She says like, "You know, don't you have?" She says something like, "You know, don't you know how to knock?" But the problem yeah, here yeah. is that. We, we saw the back of the model, you know, the bodybuilder, and it's ripped, but she turns around, this the other actress, and you can see her back, and it's just,
1: like, not very developed. Because no, It's you, reflected you could, in the mirror. Yes, exactly. In the mirror, you see her real back. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And, and according to the director, Jack Shoulder, this stand-in for Arlie was actually the Miss Western Canada bodybuilding champion.
0: Wow, they locked her down for, like, what like, was it? Let two seconds two seconds of a scene
1: <laughs> they were in western canada so they went for the best so anyway meanwhile kurt and mondo are discussing arlie's looks because you know kurt is just obsessed with arlie and angelo looks over and spots an attractive local blonde girl named kayla who seems somewhat mutually interested even though her friends look over and is like oh he's gross so <laughs> we cut to the local diner Kurt and Mondo spot two local jocks at a nearby table, and they do this, like, eating contest type thing. Yeah, I, it's bizarre. Mondo and one of the jocks, they, they take, like, big bites of their food, and then they point to the other person, like, you know, your turn, and try to drink everything in their glass. Your turn, you know, it just makes no sense why they're trying to outdo each other. But now everything comes together. Kayla and her friends end up sitting at the jocks table while Angelo also enters. I I guess he was kind of following them around. Mm. The blonde girl's friends even mention that Angelo is just this creep following them. So one of the jocks, Lance, of course, named Lance, walks up to Angelo and invites him to sit at the table. And Kurt and Mondo look on, sensing that something is up. So they pretend to act nice, but of course, slam his face into a banana split.
0: Oh, what a bunch of big old meanies.
1: <laughs> and Jubilee, who just happens to walk into the diner with Arlie and Monet, wants to waste him, which is pretty funny, but uh, they say, no, you, you know, we can't do that, and Angelo storms out in embarrassment. Aww. Even though Kayla really had nothing to do with it, she really didn't do much to stop it, but she did feel really bad about it. Well, them to the cool one, yeah, the one who had all the powers, M. Well, that's the thing. They don't want to use their powers in public because it is kind of an illegal thing in this reality. Yeah, that kind of goes out the window later on. (laughs) Yes, as we'll (laughs) see. Now, cutting back to the mansion later on, Angelo is once again training with the security system. He does a routine check and he notices that he's denied access to security chamber G110. And this is where Angelo mentions that he has some hacking skills and he uses them to gain a security clearance for himself. Uh, did you see what the security clearance was? It's so 90s. It's 90210. Yes, it's Beta Hexa 90210, because again, 1996. It's it's so 90s
0: it hurts. <laughs> okay, was it It just spits out a key card? Yes. It just, <laughs> just make, makes it for you? It's like, all right, cool. Ping, here you go. Don't
1: worry about security. They won't check. It's probably the same one that they used for their hotel rooms, the actors. Mm. So next we see Angela walking in the Basement hallways, I'm guessing, and using his card to open the door, where he finds, of course, a perfectly intact and plugged-in dream machine. Uh, evidently, Emma Frost got to keep one for herself for participating in the program. Yeah, I am surprised she did. Like, if she knew it was dangerous, why didn't she just dismantle it? Yeah, she doesn't and even just need, need one. Not build it? No, <laughs> there's no point to this. So from here, we cut back to Russell Tresh, now finally making that presentation to the board. Uh, He shows graphs charting the dramatic rise in sales for Slick Lips lipstick and Coffin Nail cigarettes, Virtual Fighter video games. And he explains that he next plans to use a dream machine to enter the dream world that we all share to force people to buy anything he commands them to. So to next demonstrate the power of the device, he tells the board members that he had visited them in their dreams the previous night and planted a suggestion <laughs> that they will have oh, an involuntary gastric eruption at 10 o'clock sharp. And of course, they look at the clock, it's 10 o'clock, and they all belch and break wind.
0: <laughs> yeah, what? it's a big, like, it's not an evil plan, it's just like a dumb plan. With also this dumb kind of representation of how it works, like, <laughs> you're all gonna fart. A fart joke, he led up to a fart joke.
1: Yes, can't and, and that's not even mind control. Like that doesn't, no. it's so stupid. You know, he could have done anything like you're all going to cluck like a chicken. Like he could have done that, but not an involuntary. He even mentions it's an involuntary biological function. It just, it doesn't make sense. It, like you said, it's a cheap fart joke used to play to a young audience and we loved it watching it. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> did, did he say he's a theoretical physicist as well? He's a mad scientist, pretty much, this character. I don't think they mention that field. Because I swear at one point he says, I'm a theoretical physicist, Bobby. Oh, he might. Uh, he might then. If he, and it-
0: then, then it's like, but why are you cutting into a person's brain? Like, why do you want to do that? It's a theory. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is not Big Bang Theory. You can't do whatever you like and just hope people just go along with it. <laughs> And then keep going on TV for, like, many years and wonder why it's on TV. And then sell a lot of things related to that thing, which makes no sense. And then you want a spin-off about the one character, and he's young. Makes no sense. No. Anyway, back to Hand. It makes everyone fight.
1: Yes. And that's the end of that part of the scene. We cut back to the mansion (laughs) as the team undergoes physical training in the danger room. And... With the low budget, it's more like some sort of indoor rock climbing place that they found in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's true. It's like, wow, this danger room is very limited. It's very anything, limited. anything they could find. Like, so, uh, Most of them are doing indoor rock climbing, and one of them mm. is spinning in one of those harnesses within the concentric rings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like space training or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's like the space training uh, velocity kind of thing. You see them used a lot in. Um, what was the last one thing I saw? I think the last thing I saw those used in was Gattaca. Oh, really? Yeah, there's like one of the training things.
1: Yeah, I, I've just seen them as like stupid things that they strap people into at like the local fair, <laughs> you know, and spin them around. So mm. it's like, probably went to one of these companies, like, what do you have that we can rent for a day? They just strapped one of the kids in there and spun them around. Like, it's like no danger room training whatsoever. So, uh, As this is all going on, uh, sneaking over to Jubilee, Angelo secretly tells her that he found the dream machine that they were reading about in the novelization of the movie that they're in, and uh, tells her (laughs) to meet him there after lights out. And above them, we see Mondo's climbing. He accidentally triggers this giant log on chains that's going to swing directly at him. He absorbs metal from the handle he touches without really any effect you know, a visual effect for us, the viewer. But the log strikes him and it breaks in half. So that's how we know it worked. Unlike the comic book version, we're not really gonna see much of a physical change when he absorbs a, a different material.
0: They can't afford it.
1: No, of course not. <laughs> of course, seeing what Corman did with the thing, I'm kind of glad we don't see a rocky version of Mondo. So that's fine. <laughs> so now we cut back to the board meeting And uh, this surprisingly ethical company decides that they would never want to make money the way that Russell Tresh proposes. They all agree that he's insane and dangerous, and they suggest that they call the authorities. And Bobby agrees and tells him, you know, he'll take care of the situation. But when Bobby looks up, he sees Russell standing there with the dream web behind him. And again, I don't think we've described this yet. The look of the dream web... As it's called. Basically, a very crappy video effect of like white glowing pathways in a black void with kind of just like a glow at the end of it, pretty much. That's supposed to let you know that that's the dream world, I guess. Assumedly, you'd, you'd hope so, because it is a bizarre effect. It, it's really stupid. So, yeah, Bobby sees it and he looks down and oh, he's in his pajamas. So, Russell reveals, no, you, this isn't real, you're in the middle of an anxiety dream, and he causes him to see birds in flight, which is, I'm <laughs> guessing, cheap footage that they were able to pick up, <laughs> causing him to sleepwalk and jump through the upper floor apartment window? <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it looks it looks really dumb. It's like a big old green screen effect. Yeah. The, the put right there, and he's like, look, they're birds, and then he wants him to fly like a bird, and then he just... Does that by jumping out of his window, (laughs) because he's manipulating him dream-wise, yet for some reason he's walking around? It's very- It's it's confusing. confusing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's terrible. I love it, it's terrible. So, back to Angelo and Jubilee, they're now in the secret dream machine room, and Jubilee convinces him to let her go first. Uh, We learn in this scene that they need to make sure that the user must stay connected to the machine, otherwise their consciousness will be separated from their body. Hey, this (laughs) had it before the Matrix, I I should say that, so. Anyway, as Jubilee lies down and straps in, we cut to Russell, who for some reason also happens to be using his dream machine at the exact same time. I guess maybe he's still, you know, messing around with Bobby and decides he's going to stay there. So anyway, Jubilee and Russell are both strapped into the dream machine at the exact same time. In the dream world, Jubilee finally goes to her parents. She sees that her parents are sad that Jubilee feels betrayed and they sent her away because they love her, which we already knew this. She should already have known this. But anyway, Russell Tresh shows up. You're visiting Dad in his dream?
2: I'm visiting you. You're Mr. Playmore I saw you in the video game. <laughs>
1: That's wonderful. Mutants can see subliminal messages. Tell me more about yourself, Jubilee. You were even hiding.
2: How do you know my name?
1: Honey, relax. I'm a mutant talent
0: scout. We'll do lunch, babe. Who knows? We might even eat it. What do you want from me? It's not what you think, honey. I love you for your mind.
2: What happened? You were gone for like two seconds. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so horrible. There was, um. My father was there, and there was this, um, there was this really creepy guy. Next time go somewhere fun instead of tripping out on your parents, girl.
0: (laughs) It was pretty horrible, but what's even more horrible is that Angelo kind of dismisses her cries and just goes, Alright, it's my turn.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, what, what, what kind of heartless fool are you, Angelo? It's
1: like... She's had a very distressful little situation happen to her. And he's just like, hey, I don't care. Yeah, really. It, it, she even pleads with him. Don't go. Don't go next. But he wants to. Uh, remember, he wanted to go on a vacation. But now his mm. ideas have changed. Now he wants to track down the blonde girl, Kayla, that he met earlier in the day. So, uh, what a! Cr- <laughs> I like
0: that. It goes from one creepy guy to Angelo being the creepy
1: guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, two creeps in this. So we cut to Angelo in the dream world as he's standing outside of Kayla's bedroom. Yeah. Now, he's in the dream world. He can do anything. Like, he could meet her on a beach or something. But no, he wants to be outside of her bedroom window. It's like, just because it's her dream doesn't mean she's sleeping in the dream world. But that's how they frame it here. It's really terrible. And what's he going to do when he's hanging out the window? Just look? I guess. Or, wait? you know, knock on the window and wave? (laughs) so stupid. Freak me out. But, of course, this is interrupted also by Russell Tresh. Russell offers to play Cupid for him and introduce them. As Russell and Angelo talk in the dream world, we cut to the real world, where the police are showing up to arrest Russell and disconnect him from his dream machine, which, you know, as we established earlier, separates his mind and body. So, immediately, great acting by Matt Frewer, he sits up in a catatonic state, Blinking, while we see the dream world Russell screaming and flailing as he falls into the dream void. Yeah. (laughs) But he doesn't die because a long arm stretches down, pulling him up and rescuing him. We see that Angelo, you know, Angelo doesn't know what's going on. He's never met Russell before. All of a sudden, the guy falls in the dream, so he uses his power to rescue him. He's a good guy at heart I guess it's
0: like he's a good guy but just right now he's a creep like he was a creep before he's going to kind of you know creep on that girl he likes and he saves a random dude that who was who came out of basically
1: nowhere yeah yeah er- everything should have tipped him off that this is not a good idea hmm. Russell thanks Angelo kisses him on the forehead and wanders away on the dream landscape so we're we're to okay. understand that Russell's body is somewhere else. His mind is now anywhere in anybody's dreams. Similar to Freddy Krueger. So we next cut to the morning where Angelo and Jubilee describe their dream experiences from the night before. Uh, Angelo thought it was awesome while Jubilee felt it was the scariest thing she's ever experienced. Now in this scene they're kind of sitting along the outdoor, I don't know what you'd call it, like a patio that overlooks the backyard of the mansion. And this scene was completely cut out of the Fox airing. I did not see this as a kid. And there's good reasons. Jubilee drops two F-words and uh, another curse as well. Uh, Jubilee seems to be doing most of the cursing in this movie. But this w- this scene was completely cut out of the Fox airing.
2: It was like my my brain was floating in outer space, but with like nothing to hold on to it, you know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, it was awesome.
2: <clears throat> i that f- nuts. That was the scariest thing I have ever felt in my entire life. I cosmically shit my pants.
0: Yeah, she really fired a couple of F-bombs in this situation. <laughs> <I> no. <know.
1: laughs> yeah, so she was a, she was a sweary McGee. <laughs> Evidently. Uh, I guess like I said, there may have been a movie cut, or just an international cut, but that certainly did not air on Fox, and it's one airing. So, cutting inside from here, the team gets ready for class. Kurt pulls Arlie aside to invite her out to the upcoming Fireman's Carnival in town. Arlie declines, assuming that he and Mondo are just planning some sort of prank, but he promises it's a legitimate invitation and hands her some flowers, to which she smiles. So, okay, she's warming up to this other creep. We next cut, very quickly, to a psychiatric hospital where the now mindless Russell Tresh just lies in a bed and blinks. So, that's, okay, we, we get it. So from here, we cut to the Fireman's Carnival. It's uh, just this outdoor local fair filled with rides, games, food stands, clowns. And the entire Generation X team, you know, minus the teachers, arrives to have some fun. We see Kurt and Arlie are riding the Ferris wheel together. Mondo and Jubilee chow down on some carnival food. And Monet, I guess, is trying to impress a group of local boys by winning all the strength games.
0: Yeah, that's what it seems like. It's funny that, you know, (laughs) again, the whole thing like, oh, let's not use our powers in public. She's just using her powers in public.
1: Yeah, this is what she's doing. This is the the point, like you were saying, punches the punching bag and it makes it explode, like knocks the stuffing out of the punching bag. She does that game where you slam the mallet down to ring the bell and I mean, just crushes the thing and Hmm. really uh, gathers this crowd of uh, admiring young men. It's pretty funny. She wins them a bunch of prizes and everything. (laughs) They just follow her around. Hmm. But also, Angelo spots Kayla at the carnival, too. Uh, The two make eye contact. And you can tell, Kayla kind of remembers the dream about him that she had the night before. To her, she just thinks it was uh, just a dream that she had. But in real, I was going to say in real life, it's not really real life. But in the dream world, reality, Angelo actually went into her mind and made her have that dream. what what
0: What a creep. Oh, so no, it's, like, no, it's just—it's it's just a creepy situation when you look into it. It's just like, you know, Kurt is a creep because he's trying to, you know, hook up with, was it Buff? And then you get this Angela guy who's meeting the girl that he saw again for the, a second time in reality after creepily looking at her through a window.
1: Yeah. Odd. It, it very, <laughs> very. So later she finds Angelo, apologizes for the banana split incident because she knew what was going to happen, but she was too afraid to stop it. Uh, They both agree. Clicks are the worst and they take a walk together away from the crowds. Also away from the crowds, we cut to Kurt and Arlie as they're now alone in the car kissing. Uh, Arlie asks Kurt to take off his glasses and something happens. His x-ray powers, which he just kind of claimed he had, but never really did. They kick in for the very first time.
0: <laughs> it's just the comment beforehand where she's like, "Could you take off the glasses?" I feel like I'm kissing Quentin Tarantino.
1: Oh, did you say that?
0: <laughs> that's what she said. She was, that's the reason she was like asking him to take off the glasses because she said she feels like she's kissing Quentin Tarantino, which I, I don't get, get. I don't get
1: it. Yeah, the you know the famous sunglasses guy Quentin Tarantino.
0: <laughs> yeah, Quentin Tarantino sunglasses guy made that movie. You know about the guys who wear sunglasses. <laughs> it didn't make sense. Like I was like, okay, so what's what's wrong with trying to make out with a you know very famous uh, Hollywood
1: director? You tell me. But not only that, it's like a tar- It's like not even a good reference. Like, say Roy Orbison no. or something like that. I don't know.
0: They're very loose with the '90s references. I mean, it feels like this was made now with someone <laughs> trying to use a lot of references of the '90s. Yes. Then you know, <laughs> exactly. it's like hey. Hey, guys, uh, this is a very sticky situation, just like
1: Gack. <laughs> you know? Uh, Good. Yeah, totally. I, I, Yeah, that's a great point. It totally is like that. So anyway, Kurt's x-ray powers kick in for the first time. But instead of saying something, he just pulls away immediately and says they should go back to the carnival to find the guys. So poor Arlie thinks, you know, something's wrong with her or something. Back at the carnival, when they actually walk over... To where everybody is, Kurt explains to Mondo what just happened in full detail, not mm-hmm. whispering at all, and not realizing that Arlie was standing behind her the whole time. Jubilee calls Kurt something we won't repeat here. Another curse by Jubilee, but in the original Fox airing, she called him pond scum. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I, I like I like the uh, the uh, immediate thing that happens after. Just don't, don't the two guys kind of look at each other and go, "All right, let's go crack
1: a 40 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, this is solve our problem. And I don't think they're old enough to drink anyway. This is very strange. Yeah, something about a 40 anyway. Yeah. So Angelo and Kayla also walk back to the carnival, but they're confronted by Lance and the local kids. Lance makes fun of Angelo, saying that he goes to juvie school or a school for special kids. Uh, again, very harsh insults. Uh, Angelo is getting picked on, and so Kurt and Mondo decide to put down their beers to have a fight. Or their 40s, whatever they're drinking. But first, before he walks over, Mondo picks up a rock and stares at it. So we're, we're to assume he has just absorbed its hardness. They walk over. Lance punches Mondo in the face and immediately grabs his hand in pain. The other Generation Xers join in the fight, and they all get arrested. Except for Monet. Because she was just kind of walking around winning stuffed animals for the local guys. <laughs> Yeah, she she barely is uh, doing much in this situation. No. I think she calls the other guys boy toys before she walks off. <laughs> <up. laughs> so we cut to the police station where Emma has to pick the kids up. The officer says that they wouldn't give their real names, just calling themselves Eddie Vetter, Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Monster, and Edie Brackell. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> using her powers... Emma tells the officer that the names are correct, and they're released. So back at the mansion, Emma reprimands the team, telling them that going out and using their powers to beat up the townies just ruins all of the hard work they've put into the Institute. Mondo admits, yes, he did absorb a stone before the fight. Emma thanks him for his honesty and tells him that he is expelled angelo next speaks up saying that he's the one that got them all into trouble in the first place they were just defending him and if mondo's expelled then he should be too emma agrees and expels him too and then we get our spartacus moment as each of the students now stands in solidarity emma has just had enough and tells them all to pack
0: like seriously he cut like like like, that's it all of you are gone but here's the problem emma (laughs) if everybody leaves you have no more students because apparently there's no one else in this x mansion except for you and Banshee. That's it. (laughs) You'll be alone. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, there are no other students. I can't see any other teachers. She seems to be like the hammer of justice here going, nope, you're all gone. Like, you're not going to talk to any of the other X-Men, or maybe like, yeah, Professor Xavier. Where are you going to get the money from? Yeah. To fund your schools? How are you going to keep the lights on? The ones that you barely have going, the (laughs) colored ones. Apparently you don't use the ones inside the building.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very stupid, and they've already established here that not being in the school is a death sentence. You know, so it just just doesn't make sense. Mm. So Banshee comes in and asks the students to leave while their punishments are discussed. Emma is now furious that he would even undermine him, but he tells her, like you said, you can't have a school without students.
2: How dare you undermine me in front of the students? We're supposed to consult each other? No, the rules of this establishment are quite clear on these infractions. We can't have a school without students, And Emma. you can't have any discipline unless you demand it. You're a fine teacher and a hard taskmaster. But these children got a tough road to hoe, and a little compassion on our parts won't kill them. Yes, it will! I've seen it before, Sean! You can't
1: keep blaming yourself for the loss of the Hellions.
2: They were my students. I mean, maybe if I trained them harder, they'd still be alive.
1: Banshee tells her that she can't keep blaming herself about the Hellions. And again, as I mentioned before, this is a reference to her first attempt at leading a team of young mutants, and they all died. It's very interesting that they would even bring the Hellions into this continuity. It's it's very weird to be that accurate to the comic books for this. You know, it, it must have just been a nod for the fans, you know, a nod to the original comics. I, I just found that line very odd. And for somebody watching this for the first time that's not a comic book fan, they're probably like, what does that mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's the whole setup, because again, like they thought it was going to be a TV series, so it's just like, oh, we have to have, add some mystery here. Yeah,
1: definitely. That's probably what this is. They, they would have to explore this going forward. So Emma wants them to learn responsibility and teamwork, <laughs> and Banshee points out that they all stood together. You know, that's something they wouldn't have done a few weeks ago. So Emma relents, agrees to let them stay, and their punishment ends up being grounded for a month. Better than death, I would say.
0: Do you know what's better than being grounded? A a dance sequence. (laughs)
1: We'll get (laughs) that. immediately happens after this, (laughs) right? Yes. Uh, Well, we get a quick scene where Kurt apologizes to Arlie for, you know, making out with her halfway and then, like, leaving and then bragging about seeing her. But she's not listening. That was a pretty useless scene because, like, it's just like... All right, nothing happened to this. Right, we know this. Useless. We know how he feels, we know how she feels. But yeah, here's, here's the dance scene. You want to explain what this is? Remember the music from The Mask? <laughs> 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 from that one dance sequence I had at
0: the Coco Bongo? Basically, it sounds like that, and instead of having the mask, they're in, out in a p- park or some sort of jungle area. Yeah. So it's our friend's Skin, Angelo, and he's a blonde lady-like friend. And apparently, like, they don't explain this as the dream sequence, right? It just cuts to them in a jungle, dancing together to outrageous music.
1: Yeah, we get the sense that it's a dream, you know, obviously when we see the tropical environment, but when we first cut to this scene, she's asleep in bed. Like, it just mm. seems like, okay, we're cutting to that night and something's happening to her. And then, yeah, they just start dancing in very long dance sequence. Like, really padding out the runtime here.
0: Yeah, just I, I I don't know why he needed that one. I guess that he's really like, he likes her and like, you know, he's giving her a fun little dream, but it's like, huh, eh, I kind of came out of nowhere.
1: The scene ends with Kayla in bed smiling. So evidently she's experiencing this in the real world as a good dream. And we see Angelo getting out of the dream machine. So, you know, this is where we finally understand, okay, this is all in the dream world. Now, after going back to his room, Angelo goes to sleep for real but finds himself back in the same dream, only Russell Tresh is now there to meet him.
0: So, tell me, Angie, how are things in the real world? I don't get to visit my body these days. Why? What happened to you? Well, I had this really cherry machine I used to like to cruise the fifth dimension in, but somebody cut my cosmic umbilical cord. I know that machine. You do? That's how I travel out here.
2: I thought you mutants could do this without a machine. Emma hasn't taught us how yet.
1: Russell now realizes that not only has he found a mutant brain, he's also found a direct connection to Emma Frost, the one person he swore revenge on. So he hatches his plan here. He asks Angelo to find his body at Williamstown Hospital, get past the minimum security, attach the machine, and reunite his mind and body.
0: That's that's a big task. It is. For a Guy, he, he's met maybe twice.
1: Yes, and we find out that this hospital is more like... A prison. It's more like a minimum security prison. Angela refuses. He's, uh, you know, I'm not going to break into jail for you. So Russell gets angry, threatening to torture him in his dreams every night, along with Kayla, and even threatens to do horrible things to his little sister.
0: He pulled his arm when they were in the car. Yeah, she. W- she could. She could have so many bad nightmares about My Little Pony.
1: <laughs> it's actually pretty terrible what he says he's going to do to the sister. And I was surprised it actually did air on Fox what he did say. But anyway, mm-hmm. Angelo accepts. He doesn't want to see anything bad happen to anybody. So we cut now to the state mental institution where Angelo, along with some dream machinery in a duffel bag, I guess there's a travel version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a, The, the tra- dream machine is like this long bed with like a computer, these wires, this like headset piece with like these two pieces with like a top part that comes down and a piece that goes around your head. But yeah, but apparently has the fun size version of it.
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense why he has a, this little portable version. But anyway, he has it. He stretches his arm to the top balcony at night. He climbs in. He finds Russell's body and places the dream machine onto his head. He fires it up and sparks fly everywhere. Russell sits up and declares, I liked it so much I bought the company. Uh, again, his character is very just Jim Carrey and... Very just obscure ref like not obscure reference, just bizarre humor. Yeah, it seems like a Max Headroom aside, like a reference to a commercial that you would commonly see around that time. Yeah. So after scaring away a hospital employee, Russell asks Angelo for one more thing. His brain.
0: <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, the the, the the creepy way he pushes him against the wall after, does it pertain to be a zombie waking up in his bed and scaring the orderly?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the orderly we saw earlier, he didn't like Russell, like having to feed Russell, which I don't mm. think you can even feed somebody in that state. I think he would need a feeding tube. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And why Russell would even remember him to want to get revenge on him. It just, again, no, makes no sense. So we cut to Russell's lab, where Angelo is now gagged and strapped to a bed.
0: <laughs> well, sorry. Wait, before we go any further, this got very 60s Batman. Yes, by oh, the way, my goodness. The yes. camera tilts. The lighting is all you know <laughs> colorful. He's apparently wearing like a brightly colored kind of zoot suit looking thing, and it's like, what the heck happened to this thing? Like all of a sudden, just goes 60s Batman. Or keep you on par. It's a uh, Batman Forever. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Joel Schreiber is sitting there going. Yes, I like this.
1: (laughs) In Russell's lab now, Angelo is gagged and strapped to a bed. Russell has no powers in the real world. Angelo has the power to stretch, you know? It just doesn't make sense why Angelo could be apprehended and physically dragged in here and strapped to a bed. But anyway, Russell tells him that he's going to extract a single mutant brain cell from the pineal gland in his brain, which will, oh yeah, kill you in the process but he's not going to perform the surgery right away. <laughs> he's going to wait until morning because he needs to leave to get some rest. Because, <laughs> you know, sleeping for all that time was exhausting. Well, yeah, also he had a you know, very
0: um, busy day getting out. But also I like how he's very thoughtful about that. He's like, do you want? Know I'm to be at my peak optimal abilities. I should get some sleep. All right, I'm going to leave you down here. I don't know where they are. Apparently they're in the, the basement of the a lab somewhere or
1: just the is it the hospital they're in russell's building what that means i'm not sure is mad Mm. scientist headquarters so while angelo is lying there he remembers emma's lesson in telepathy where she tells the students to relax and let it flow so (laughs) while concentrating on the white light in his mind he's able to project himself to jubilee in her bedroom telling her to tell emma that he's getting his brain operated on at dawn
0: He's <laughs> like, so come at dawn and help me out then. By dawn, it's like, or oh, right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> just leave the building right now, please.
1: And it's so dumb. And this is this is why we need to establish a million times leading up to it that Jubilee has a little bit of you know mental powers and so does Skin, so that we can get this scene where he can appear to her telepathically and give her this one brief message. Interesting moment here where Jubilee sees this vision of Skin in her bedroom and she calls him Skin by name. I think this is the first time we ever heard his code name. It must have been in a scene that we didn't see where he adopted the name Skin and she called him that. Mm -hmm. Kind of strange. For somebody not familiar with the comics, they would be like, what is she calling him Skin for? So from here, Jubilee wakes up Emma and Banshee and basically explains the plot of the movie to them up to that point as they walk downstairs all in their pajamas.
2: All right, well, Skin found your dream machine and we were messing with it, going on to that dream web that you wrote about. I should have destroyed that machine. Yeah, well, this other guy must get the same catalog because you are not the only one out there with one of these machines. There's this really creepy guy and he's got skin and he's gonna cut open his brain. Russell Trash. Who's that? Russell Tresh, he was with me in the program. They formulated some very powerful theories on mutant psychic potential
1: so Emma decides here that she'll have to use their powers to open up the doorway to the dream dimension and what? Jubilee speaking for the audience asks but I thought it only exists when you're sleeping and Emma replies uh it's another dimension it's always there
0: <laughs> yeah it's like it's just like it's another dimension and all I'm thinking like they're all standing about and getting ready for something assumedly and she says, like, she's going to open a doorway. I'm like, in their minds or, like, a portal or what? Right. You
1: know, it's just like, I'm thinking it's going to be some sort of CGI thing, right? That's what you, or you think, like, all right, we all have to sleep at the same time or something weird. It just doesn't make sense. So uh, just so we're clear at this point of the movie on the concept of the dream world, it's another dimension that can be accessed by dreams or technology or by someone with the mutant power to make the doorway to it appear. <laughs> <laughs> so while jubilee goes to wake up the others emma tells banshee that she's worried that russell may have spent so much time in the dream world that he has mutated and developed the x factor on his own and like whoa wait 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 wait! when did this become a thing
0: scott didn't you know if you get the x factor by just doing something a lot uh or standing next to a microwave that's, that's how it works. Well,
1: I, I sleep daily. I haven't mutated yet. Like, this, is, this makes no sense. Like, oh, well, he's been in the dream world so long that now he's going to slowly become a mutant.
0: Like, wh- why? I don't know. Just so they had something to do. Just, <laughs> the problem here, though, it doesn't really affect the end result of this entire situation. No, not really. Even though he, he may have these, like, X powers, they don't really improve
1: his situation. We next cut to Banshee giving the team an impromptu commencement speech as they stand assembled in the danger room.
2: This is a strange kind of commencement, but we live in strange times. I just want you to know that we're proud of you. Do your best.
0: One last thing. Once I open the doorway, I'm going to try and bring his entire building onto the dream web, because I don't want him to know what we're doing until it's too late. I will be using all my powers to
2: keep the illusion on the Dreamweb, so I won't be able to be with you. If at any time you see the doorway reopen, it means that we have won or lost. But it will be your last chance to get back home.
0: That's very... Like, that doesn't help at all. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm going to open the door again. And that means we've done good or bad. I don't know.
1: Whatever. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's like this doesn't help. I've heard clearer directions on Legends of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my graduation was not like this. <laughs> well, I'm being told that you're gonna have to fight a dream guy. Yes, yes. Our, our principal yeah. did not open a portal for us. Well, that's a shame.
0: That's a shame. <laughs> it's it, I don't know. It's like there's no there's no definite win here. It's just like when the door opens again, good or bad, whatevs. <laughs> it's
1: like what? <laughs> anyway. Okay, so seeing possibly now his last chance to make things right with Arlie, Kurt speaks up to apologize and to tell her the truth about what happened in the car, at the carnival, how the x-ray power kicked in, and that's why he pulled away, he didn't see anything, and Arlie smiles. Uh, Okay. So that's all forgiven. So next, Emma opens the doorway, which basically looks like a bright light in a fog machine filmed from around the corner at the indoor rock climbing place. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's really <laughs> because <bad. laughs> <laughs>
0: cuz that's the thing like when said, when when she said a door I thought me- like a metaphysical kind of door but it actually is a door in the building. Yes.
1: Just, eh, here it is.
0: <laughs> it's been behind this wall the entire time like a secret cave of treasures.
1: This was not a slider's portal, that's for sure. No. So, cutting back to Russell, he's now, you know, well-rested. He's about to drill into Angelo's forehead, stopping only to tell him that he hates his hair. And he even takes (laughs) out a straight razor to do something about it. It He wants to to give him a haircut. He's going to kill him. It doesn't matter about his hair. It just buys the team a little more time, I guess. He's interrupted (laughs) by a flash of light and the appearance of Jubilee. And she fires her blasts at him, then Mondo... kind of just throws him into some equipment and arlie grabs him and tosses him into some more <laughs> electrified stuff no one yeah it seems to really be a lot of sho- shoving and pushing and sparks
0: for this <laughs> like it's not like a like not like a cool kind of situation with like wolverine and mystique it's just like ah bonk ah smash
1: yeah it's it's a terrible fight it really is kurt then runs out in front of him and instead of Using his eye beams directly on Russell, he uses them on the pipe above him, causing it to break and bump into him as it swings into the floor. What was that, like a steam pipe or something? <laughs> it's so yeah.
0: I just realized uh, it's all very steam pipey here and all, um, you know, like a, a underground kind of uh, piping steam service thing. Like uh, the Freddy Krueger situation. Ah. Yeah, you know, when Freddy Krueger drags people to his world, it's got like a lot of pipes and it's like, you know, looks like a in- little industrial... Basement area,
1: sub-basement of some building. When you're directing, you go with what you know, I guess. Mm. (laughs) So, of course, from all the shoving and bumping, Russell is pretty unscathed. He climbs to an upper floor where now Monet is waiting for him. Uh, She kicks him in the stomach into a furnace door, which then opens. So then Russell runs over and throws Monet into the furnace, but Banshee catches her. Banshee then screams at Russell, which pushes him through the brick wall and out into the void of the dream web. Uh, the team then kind of assembles, thinking the ordeal is now over, but nope. <laughs> I don't know why, but Russell's hand now appears, slowly climbing back along with a giant projection of his head. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> yes. It was just confusing, I I get like he's trying to trick them where it's like, oh look, I'm my normal size about to climb in, and then it's his massive head.
1: Yeah, and I I guess this is tied to that scene like we were talking about where Emma's like oh, uh, I hope he didn't mutate because it's this point where Russell realizes that he has, in fact, mutated in some way. Uh, He appears now back in the building, we're never shown him actually climb in, but he does saying that he's feeling seriously omnipotent. <laughs> this is also accompanied by wind and electric sparking.
0: That air compressor guy, really getting a lot of work today. Alright guys,
1: this is the big moment, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> so Angelo now sends a mental message to Emma asking for the doorway to be reopened. Which she does. But she also brings herself to the dream web to face Russell herself. Emma explains to Russell that she doesn't intend to escape, only to take him down with her. But refusing to let the bad guy win, Angelo stretches his arms at Russell, wrapping him up and causing them both to fall into the void.
0: Do you know what my favorite part about this? Angelo's over the other side of Whatever it is, like yeah, you know, he's like a hundred yards away, yeah. he stretches and his arm stretches only his arm, but in the scene from behind Russell, you can see the arm, but also his shirt <laughs> is in the shot, yes, like the yeah you know the rolled up uh, part of his shirt is in the shot, so it's like, um, did he stretch your entire shirt as well because that just kind of seems to be there, like it's just in short, I know it's a mistake, but it just seems it just threw me out yes, it just
1: threw me out of this imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. But did you? What did you hmm. think of the effect? Yeah, this is probably the best effect we get in the movie. I think
0: they spent all their money on this. Yeah, it's kind of like it looks like somebody flinging around linguini around somebody.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, he just like completely wraps his arms around him many many times. Uh, you know, it's a a cheap CGI effect, but it works. So the rest of the team, they all kind of just stand there and stare for a moment, thinking that those two have died, but. Up from the darkness comes Angelo's outstretched hand as he climbs back alone. Uh, They then slowly walk back out the doorway, and we fade to black. (laughs) So I guess he just unwrapped himself and shook him off. (laughs) Yeah, and came back. All right, so now we get our end scene. Uh, This scene, I guess this is going to set up the possible series to follow. We get this scene to start where the team is assembled in the mansion foyer, sitting on the floor and playing some sort of complicated magic the gathering type card game again this is 1996 they want to let you know
2: i want full enlightenment dr d's gone corporate
0: can you dance cabin with a necro buyout bam a causal defenestration chica
2: transparent call it zap
0: oh chemical marriage i got francis bacon (laughs) zap Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I didn't understand what they were doing they were just throwing down things and saying bam or flash or like these, these perfectly made shiny little cards with was it historians on it it's like what yeah it's like <laughs> excuse me but like yeah it's like they're playing a the game and then apparently somebody loses I don't know how and then he throws the cards down and it has like the uh, generation x logo
1: on the back Yes, this is the logo exactly from the comic book. In fact, when you bought the Generation X action figure, they had a, like a plastic stand that they could stand on and it was this logo. So yeah, it was funny that that logo does appear. Yeah. But the game is interrupted as a figure is seen silhouetted in the doorway and uh, everyone is uh, shocked and they slowly look up and we see that it's Arlie dressed in a very uh, bright red and yellow superhero (laughs) costume, along with an X logo belt. And uh, Banshee asks, you know, what do you think of your new uniforms? As everyone smiles. And throws up at the same time, because it's (laughs) awful.
0: And also, it doesn't make sense, because all of a sudden now she's very confident that she's going to wear an outfit. And is that belt
1: flashing? Oh, yes. Very reflective X belt.
0: (laughs) It's like, why? Like, I know the outfit looks very much like, you know, the kind of Generation X outfit in a way, at the same time, really hurts the eyes.
1: Yeah, you can see why, at this point, we didn't realize, like, uh, not until Brian Singer a few years later, we saw how a grounded reality would really work for these characters. Mm. Dark uniforms, and we get the line that Cyclops says in that movie, what do you expect, yellow spandex, you know. uh, But here we get it, you know, here we practically get the bright Mm. yellow spandex. Uh, I think I even uh, messaged you before we recorded a picture of Husk from a trading card around this time, and Husk is pretty much wearing exactly Arlie's uniform here. This is directly from the comics. I I thought that was kind of cool at the time as a kid. Like, oh, Hmm. okay, yeah, you know, this is the the actual uniforms, but you know, it doesn't work for live action. It's so goofy looking. It took forever,
0: but, you know, apparently uh, Buff is now pretty confident with herself, and she's like, yep, this is what I'm gonna rock out in. (laughs) This is it. This is the choice I've made.
1: Yep. Yeah, and the group just loves these costumes, so I assume if was going to go forward, everyone would have their own version of these brightly colored costumes. But it doesn't end here. We cut back to Russell's body, which is now back in the hospital, catatonic and blinking. The camera zooms in on the light in his eyes, and we see that it's not a light, but it's the dream web. Or actually, it's just the video effect of the dream web.
0: <laughs> That's even scarier. It's even scarier. <sighs> we then fade to black,
1: and mercifully, the closing credits... And then we're left thinking at the end of this, where's the other X-Men? Yeah, hey, uh, why do we have an X on our belt? Who does that symbolize? The guy from that video game (laughs) at the arcade?
0: Wolverine Wolverine comes in finally after like two days of meetings, wearing a suit and tie. He's like, what are you guys doing here?
1: You see all the X-Men show up with Hawaiian shirts on and like their (laughs) luggage. Hey, what are you guys doing in here?
0: Professor Xavier comes in and goes, Emma, where'd you get my extra key from?
1: (laughs) But we're left to wonder, you know, what could have been for the whole X-Men movie franchise? You know, if this kept going, if this was a popular Beverly Hills 90210 meets X-Men, what would have happened? Were the movies been based on this team? Would the X-Men have showed up in this series? Would it have changed continuity forever? We just, we don't know, but. This was so poorly executed, (laughs) it never really Mm. stood a chance.
0: No, I I think this show would be, um, if you had the uh, X-Men movies, this show would be turned into kind of like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it's like, oh, yeah, we're we're part of this situation. Yeah, we're totally part of those guys. Oh, man, there's Wolverine out there, outside the window that you can't see. He's on his bike (laughs) being cool. ah,
1: Wolverine. (laughs) Yeah, you know, they would have faced a generic villain of the week. It, maybe it would have been someone from the comics. Maybe it would have been another Russell Trash. I'd, I'd say they would have moved locations to somewhere like Miami. Like, it's like, yeah, you know,
0: the intro would have been like, we're the X-Men. Well, the next generation of X-Men.
1: <laughs> we can only imagine. You can only dream, you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I got to mention, too, there was a, also a sweepstakes tied to this movie. Uh, there was a print ad that ran and viewers were encouraged to go to their local comic book shop and pick up an entry form or just mail in a 3x5 index card on which they had to answer the following questions. One, who is your favorite Generation X character? Why don't you answer, Hamish? What do you think? Out of these guys? Yeah. Oh, my God. The <laughs> the guy with the air compressor, he's the best. Okay. Number air two. compressor guy. Number two, should Fox make Generation X an ongoing TV series or what? Or what what? what? <laughs> that's how they. That's how it was phrased. Hey, should Fox make Generation X an ongoing TV series or what? No. Uh, and so the in three, four, and five were you know where do you buy your comics? Where is the store? What's your age and all that stuff? Place old enough to know better. Now this was for a contest. Now the grand prize <laughs> tied to this movie was a Virtua Fighter game cabinet. Oh, sweet. And you could also win the Generation X Prize Pack, which consisted of a Toy Biz Generation X action figure assortment, which, by the way, the figures shown in the ad are Jubilee, who's in the movie, Chamber, who isn't, Penance, who isn't, Phalanx, who isn't, and M-Plate, who isn't. It didn't didn't make sense. Like, you saw these characters. Like, who is this? You could also win a Generation X logo copper pin, a Marvel Overpower starter deck. I don't know, do you remember Marvel Overpower?
0: Um, vaguely. I it remember was, a lot of f- foil cards.
1: It was basically their attempt to capitalize on the craze of Pokemon cards and Magic the Gathering cards. Like, they, they should have been playing this game at the end of the movie. Mm. And also you could win one pair of Gargoyles Performance Eyewear sunglasses, which I'm guessing are what Kurt is wearing in the show. That has to be, right?
0: I'm gonna say yes but also at the same time no need for those because uh the guy in the show seems to be a jerk creep and I don't <laughs> yeah, want no to I'm be kidding. associated with jerk creeps so yeah not the, not the great thing not a, not awesome you know no. but hey they, they, they're really trying to hype this thing up
1: they also had here as prizes an MCA Records Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hit CD, no idea what that is. An MCA Records Saturday Morning Comic Book, again, no idea. A Sega mm. Virtual Fighter Limited Edition Comic Book, didn't know there was such a thing, and a Generation X Black and White Cast Photo because they're so cheap they couldn't afford color. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's autographed. It might just be a <laughs> cast photo. So so cheap. It's just a spare one that they had. All right, and that does it for Generation X. It's such a big movie from my childhood. That's so crappy, but, you know, I love it just for the nostalgia factor alone, and I'm one of the very few I have to imagine. But, Hamish, what, what do you think of this movie, now watching it for the podcast?
0: Never again. <laughs> <laughs> I, watched, I watched this thing twice. Uh, first time was pretty hard to get through, because of those 90s reference, and I'm just sitting there going, no, I just just want to stay away i can't and so i got through that and then i watched it last night again because you know i, I i've gotten through the pain but <laughs> it, it it's a show that had ideas we'll say uh, a lot of the structure of i guess location wise they kind of reused for their you know x-men movies but yeah i mean for an attempt for a superhero thing because again you know superheroes were uh, still a big thing in that time i mean yeah you had was it Tim Burton's Batman, and that that kind of, you know, caught people's attention again. He had Superman, obviously, before that. But yeah, I guess they were really kind of just reaching out, looking for something cool. And it was that kind of 90s vibe of going, hey, let's look for something cool with the kids, but also very comic book because kids like both those things. Yeah, they tried. So, you know, they really uh, went a different direction with some of the things. But again, every film series or every tv show goes a different direction with you know comic book related stuff because they believe people can't understand the complexities of a character at face value they have to kind of explain it with a more grounded idea Mm -hmm. it's kind of like with um guidance of the galaxy volume two with kurt russell's character you know being ego the planet but also being a person ego they explain it in the movie which i guess makes a lot more sense because you want some sort of Way of explaining this, but in the comic books, he kind of just accepted it, just like you Mm -hmm. know, Galactus. Sure, Galactus will turn up every once in a while and go, "All right, I'm going to eat your planet, guys." (laughs) Yeah, without explaining where did Galactus come from, who's his father? So you know, they 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 did it as nineties as possible and gave it a shot. Just didn't stick.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree. They tried. It was very much of its time, and so you know, again, even referencing things that they're kind of copying like beverly hills 90210 and nightmare on elm street and stuff like that uh this was a very dark time in the uh superhero genre x-men just wasn't getting made Uh, spider-man also was kind of talked about but wasn't getting made Uh, batman was really tapering off and you know This was just something that that came up. Now, if they had plans for it later on into the early 2000s, maybe they could have made something of it. The whole shared universe concept wasn't, you know, widely done at that point. And this could have been a really interesting companion piece to the X-Men film franchise. But, Mm. you know, it was just so cheaply done. But what a surprise for me as a kid, you know, to see this come out of the blue. Hey, a TV movie based on a comic book that you read. You know, I loved it for what it was. It was kind of goofy, but just kind of fun to revisit, at least for me. Mm. (laughs) And I apologize for putting you through it.
0: (laughs) It's not, like, I'm. it's not saying it's, you know, it's painful, but I can understand that, you know, we all have this nostalgia in our minds of, you know, what we really uh, liked as kids. So comparing it to what it really was, you know, we were so desperate for, like, you know, new
1: cool stuff. But it is terrible. Make no mistake about it. This is a terrible movie, but... Oh, yeah. Again, if you're uh, if you really want to go back to the '90s, this is a great way to do it if you can track it down. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your mutant power, too expensive for low budget films, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Play. Hamish, do you have anything you want to plug?
0: You can find me on Twitter at hitting at uh, i am I'm gonna say Twitter at hitting play. You can find <laughs> me at hitting play making comments about other things. Sure, sure. But actually, you can find us now on the. Uh, Hitting play subreddit. Yes. Yeah, if you want to leave a comment or, you know, tell us what we're really getting wrong. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll hear it. I am a moderator on the site, so I can delete it if I want. not saying <laughs> I will. I'm just saying, give it your best shot. But you can find me on Twitter sure. at Silent Hamish, Instagram at Salt Hamish, uh, on uh, Facebook at Silent Hamish Art. Uh, you can also, if you want, what we mentioned before, you can buy a t-shirt if you want. The Sarton Hamish t-shirt. Just go to Redbubble, type in Saint Hamish, and you'll find uh, a, a couple of things I've created. If you want to see what I look like on a shirt, and, you know, it'd be just a cool, styling cat. Also, I realize I think I diminished the value of those things now. I just said, cool, styling cat. <laughs> God, I, I'm I'm, sound like I'm not with the kids. What's, what's wrong with me here? But, uh, yeah, there's a shirt there. You know, you can be as cool as Kevin when he's Saint Hamish shirt. Else. But yeah, look us, uh, check us out, or whatever, and you know, find me up in there. Send me messages, or yell at me. One of those. Very good.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at mc and friends. You can follow me there. Uh, I am also on Instagram. There I am mc underscore and underscore friends. There I post drawings and uh, little humorous flip page animations that I used to do on Vine, stuff like that. So. Check me out there. Uh, If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, If you don't want to write a review, there's even a tap-to-rate thing. You can just click five stars. It's very, very easy, and it really does help us. Uh, For Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so check us out on those platforms. Also, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are released. Well, we have been Hamish and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening.
0: I think the episodes really made me miss something else. Just going to switch on over to some uh, classic X-Men. There we go. Yep.